Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ian Brodsky. I'm Stephen Duber. I'm Jay Sticky. And I don't know what we're talking about today. Actually, that's a lie because they have told me. But uh, this was one of the rare episodes where I just sat back and said, okay, you guys do everything because I am really busy this week. And you guys did. So thank you very much. Oh, anytime. Or at least Stephen did. That's true. Well, you know, I, I have no idea. I'm going to, I'm just going to say you guys because uh, thanks, Stephen. Well, I mean, I was going to save that to the end and be like, hey, did this feel more or less organized than usual? Because usually Inyash kind of puts together a, you know, note doc and stuff. But oh, um, do, do I? Yeah, I mean, usually. Okay. I'll tell you what, some notes appear every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe you do it in your sleep or something. I don't consider myself that organized. But I do sometimes, I guess, put together notes. But before we do all that, we're going to talk about the sequences like we always do. Usually. Except last week. Like we almost always do. Almost yeah. always. Very, very usually. Yeah. Is that is very usually a thing? Sure. Okay. It is now. All right. And our first post is self-anchoring. So, in a sentence... This is the tendency for people to, when modeling another mind, basically use your mind and put yourself in their shoes, right? Yes. As best you can. Yeah. Which I, you know, Eliezer's day job is making minds from scratch. So that's not a good base spot for him. But for most of us, almost all of our interactions, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah. It's kind of the best. It's also the best we have. Yeah. yeah there's not really any other way. I think like you, you know what your own mind is like. You don't know what other people's minds are like. You can guess. Uh, I've often wondered though, like if there was some way to telepathically just link yourself to some other mind, would it be just wildly different from the way your mind works and thinks, or would it be like pretty comfortable? I have two predictions. Mm-hmm. One, we will be able to do that in the next 50 years. Can't wait. And two, we will not be like bowled over by how different other people's brains are. I think that they will be similar enough to ours to at least be recognizable. I think... I think it's going to be a matter of uh, culture. Like the more similarly you were raised, but to, to other people in the same general like area and milieu, you're, they're going to be very similar, even if you have wildly different opinions. But like people on the other side of the globe raised in a totally different culture and different circumstances, I think might be like radically different. My prediction would be that like I think just sort of the average person will probably feel pretty similar to the average person, but I, I bet there's going to be crazy outliers there just based on some people I know who I like, like most people, once I talk to them for a bit, I can start to model them and predict sort of the kinds of things that they might want to talk about, what they might say next. You know, there's some people I've met though, that like has talking about a sort of that there's a ex-boyfriend of a friend of mine and Phoenix's who I was just like, we spent like a week hanging out with these two and I could not predict what this guy was going to do or say next. And it actually kind of bothered me. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> scary. You don't want humans that you can't predict. Unpredictable people. Yeah. I think I would have a hard time. Like I've met some super hippie people, like the kind that you think about only show up in movies and stuff. Right. And I just have a hard time really grokking what they're, what being them must be like. Like it almost feels like a different neuroarchitecture. Okay, then I will refine my prediction to say that it'll be easier to relate to those people than it will be to your pet dog. Well, sure. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, and I that, so that's a way uh, broader, maybe less refined uh, prediction. But like, I think that for the most part, our modeling of other people based on our own selves is going to be close enough most of the time, right? And it's because we all do basically have the same neural architecture. Yeah. Like I said, it, it might be interesting seeing the order of which thoughts appear from people in different cultures, right? Yeah. Like the first thing might be like, oh, wait, what about my culture? What about my family? What about my community? 
Whereas other people might be like, wait, what about me? What about um, my personal safety? Americans. Not- what about well, my freedom? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't even elevating one over the other. I was just like, yeah, no, I yeah. but yeah, totally. Some people would be, but my freedoms and other people would be, but my rep- my family's reputation or something, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that's just differences in what you, what you value, I guess. What's, what's important to you? Yeah. So like those thoughts, I think will, you know, then cascade to like, the rest of the decision, you know, of okay. how to go about the rest of the conversation or solve the problem. But yeah. maybe the real fun thing will be, like Jay said, people at the tips of the, of the uh, at, at the tips of the distributions, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm mind melding with a, with an M uh, with an emulation of like Elon Musk's brain, right? <laughs> See, I don't think so Elon weird. Musk's brain would be that hard to figure out. Yeah. I think he's mostly someone who's very curious, very energetic and very healthy. And like, that's not that hard for me to model. I think he, he's also neuroatypical, which would be interesting to to engage with as well. Um, as he said during his SNL monologue, he's the first uh, person with Asperger's to host, or at least the first person with Asperger's to admit it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was actually really funny. Did I tell? Did I already rave about that? You did, did. but not on mic. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Uh, like they SNL does this thing where they can bring on really great people, and then like the show kind of sucks. <laughs> I think the week before him was Keegan Michael Key. Oh. That episode sucked. Really? They just they didn't put him in any good sketches. Well, that sucks. That, and so like that that's really what makes or breaks it. One of the first episodes that had Jim Carrey on it was fucking amazing because you could tell like he jumped into every episode and was just putting his comedic genius to work and it was great. I would have thought that he would have done the same thing. I would have thought so too. It was one of the worst episodes of the season. Damn. It might, I don't know, be like sort of a matter of how outgoing the actual comic is like a lot of comedians are actually pretty introverted <laughs> but even keegan you know he he's got a long background in sketch comedy yeah it's yeah and then the last the season finale was um i can't remember her name the queen's gambit actress okay uh hers was amazing and i wouldn't think of her as a comedic like mastermind but it was a, it was hilarious it was a great great episode anyway uh modeling other minds is tight and this is <laughs> this is basically that um talks about between ages and three and four people, human people. I think we talked about this last episode, right? The the whole um, theory of mind developing about, yeah, at it, like between age three and four, where yeah. kids are able to kind of put themselves in the shoes of another kid that they're watching on TV. Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah, this is a what r- does Sally think is in the box? Pencils or candy? Yeah. It's like, you know, you saw, you saw her see candy be put in the box. And then she left and someone came and replaced it with pencils. And then Sally comes back. Yeah. And then they ask the kid, what does she think is in there? Before they get a good theory of mind, they'll say, well, obviously pencils, because that's what's in the box. But it's like, once you realize, no, wait, she wasn't in the room when they switched it out. That's kind of that self-reflective bit that, or that, that aware bit that more sapient. That most people learn at age three or four, but some people I think never seem to <laughs> quite get. It's a really short post. I think the most, the, the main the key thing from this post is that um, two people are see see basically the same layout, but um, one of them can see three candles, and the other one has the smallest candle blocked, so they can't see it. And the person who can't see the smallest candle tells the other subject to move the small candle from one place to to another. And the person who can see all three candles and sees there's one even smaller, their eyes always go first to the smallest candle before they quickly adjust to the medium-sized candle, which they know is the smallest one the other person can see. And that's not the test. Like, the test is obviously, if you aren't a four-year-old, you know the other person can't see the smallest candle, so you're going to move the medium one. But uh, the what Eliezer says is the interesting thing is, reflexively, they always go to the smallest candle first and then adjust, which means that everyone has a bit of anchoring 
Uh, we spoke about anchoring before, like several months ago at this point, where if you're given a high number just at random, you will uh, anchor on that higher number and give higher estimates for things that you have absolutely no idea about just because you were already primed with a higher number. And so he, he says this is an example of like all people anchor on themselves first and then adjust afterwards. And due to the nature of anchoring, oh, it's very rare for people to adjust enough. It makes sense because we don't, again, like we literally don't know what other people's brains are like. So we do kind of have to start with, you need some model. Here's the one that I'm familiar with. Yeah. And then, okay, then I'll add like uh, a sort of s- simulation of the other person's brain state based on the facts that I've known about them, the, the ways that I've seen them interact, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think anchoring has some of the replication issues, but this this doesn't strike me as the same kind of anchoring. Um, and if anything, this might just also I think just- that's actually priming. And that's like in the social sciences, the whole like, if you give a group of men and women a math test and prime it by like men do better on this test than supposedly women do worse. I think that did not replicate. Oh, the, um, uh, this is actually one of the things I did a small version of when I was doing boring psych studies in college, <laughs> uh, stereotype threat. Right. Was that example? I mean, the other like some weird priming is like, Hey, my screensaver is money. And you see like a dollar bill, you're less inclined to give money or something like all those, <laughs> those sound, those sound, uh, the, the eye roll is appropriate. Mm-hmm. These, these were like, Oh, look, it's really easy to, to prime people on certain things and get certain reactions, but that turned out to not really be the case. It sounds like just an overly simplistic way of thinking about humans. Like we, we actually are pretty sophisticated at doing this for the most part. Did we mention what the one of the easiest ways to predict if something is going to replicate or not is? If it just smells like bullshit? Yeah. yeah. It, it was basically if you ask a random subset of people, does this smell like bullshit? And the majority of them say, yes, it probably won't replicate. It was a very str- high correlation. Huh, wisdom of crowds. Yeah. yeah. I think that for social science, that definitely sounds true, right? Yeah. Um, the average person, if they didn't teach evolution, you know, if you ask them, are you, you know, are you related to bananas? They would say, what the fuck are you talking about? Right, right. But with, oh, this with, brings us to the next post with, already. But yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but with social science, um, we we all have some intuition of social science. And we all have a lot of experience with other humans. Right. I think it's part of the thing that helps with that. Whereas very few people have experience with evolution. Right. That's not to say that, like, you can't get a surprising finding that, no, actually, it turns out, you know, forget what you mm-hmm. thought you knew. This is actually the way people's brains work. Yeah. But I was going to mention... less common, I think, than people trying to generate sensationalist articles. Right. right. I was wondering, too, with this one. I mean, so my eyes, I'm told, move the smallest candle to the next to the truck in this little experiment, right? There's Mm -hmm. pictures in the article. Um, I don't know how much it is that I'm modeling my... So I look at the smallest candle first. That's the finding, right? Mm -hmm. And then I adjust. I'm like, oh, wait, no. The smallest candle the director can see. But I don't know how much that is of like me anchoring or me just like, he said smallest candle and just look for the smallest candle, right? Right. And then, you know, so I I would want other ways to test this. I think that's arguably just anchoring on your own perception there. Like, it's kind of the same thing. Like yeah. you could say, I'm first jumping to, I, Stephen, believe that this is the smallest candle. Or you could just like hear them say the word smallest candle and then start scanning for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I think, still, that's your brain. Yeah. I think the, the, the key he, thing here is how it interacts with anchoring from before. Whereas once you're anchored to something, you're going to be always systematically slightly biased towards the thing you were anchored. So everyone's going to have a little bit of bias towards everyone else thinking that they're more like them than the more like themselves than they really are. Yeah. It ends with a nice quote that I like. We can put our feet, in our, we can put our feet in other minds' shoes, but we keep our own socks on. <laughs> um, this actually ties well into the next post. Expecting short inferential distances, which it's is almost like he laid them out in this order on purpose. I know this is one of the ones that 
I never forgot. Yeah, this is a fantastic one. Yeah. And there is an audio version of this. I believe it was Why We Cur that paid me to uh, make an audio version of it. So delightful. Everyone can hear that. Yeah, if you want to hear Inuyasha's voice. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, on a meta note, this is like one of my favorites. And I think it comes up for me like basically daily. Really? I mean, at least a few times a week. I mean, I'm assuming largely in the workplace. Largely in the workplace. But even like outside of that, any conversation with somebody who... Um, you know, like my wife isn't super into all this rationalist stuff. And so when I come home from doing these, she's like, oh, so what'd you guys talk about? And I have to like, think of where to start. Mm. And it's fun. It's great. And I think that if, if people pay attention to like their own interactions with people when they're explaining stuff, I think they'll, they'll find themselves noticing this more often. I'm yeah. guessing. Okay. But actually like there's some autistic people that are super bad at this and it's really cute. I like was hanging out with Gray yesterday and there were a bunch of times where Gray would just start talking about rifles and like bullet calibers and things like excited. Like, oh yeah, well there's this thing. And I was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. <laughs> so, go, go back to explaining guns 101 and then we'll go from there. <laughs> so first you get a metal tube, right? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's not a bad place to start. I still don't know. I mean, no, I know that higher caliber means either bigger bullet or faster bullet. I think those two things probably correlate. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is, it's the kind of thing that if you're, well, that, so the point of the post is when you're entrenched with knowledge on something and you're explaining it to somebody else, it's not impossible, but you have to be very, very careful and work hard to actually convey what you're talking about successfully Yeah, because you're talking about it on terms you understand, but they don't understand the terms. I Can we give the hunter gatherer background? Yeah. Cause I find it super interesting. Uh, he points out that psych. <laughs> yes, that in the uh, evolutionary environment, uh, we lived in bands of at most 200 people uh, with no writing. And so all knowledge was passed down by speech and memory. And so any knowledge that wasn't explicitly private knowledge that you were not sharing for whatever reasons you have uh, was just public knowledge, period. There, there were no like domains of specialization or wherever. And so at most, anyone was ever one inferential step away from from you. Like if you had knowledge of where an oasis was, you could just tell someone that you wouldn't have to explain the concept of an oasis to them first or the concept of standing water or something. Right. Uh, whereas uh, now we have vast differences between between what people know that often take, I don't want to say many years of research because that seems like an exaggeration sometimes. No, I think it's not. I mean, if you're, if you have a degree in, I don't know if you're, if you have a doctorate and you're trying to explain, uh, I don't know, I agree, but I don't think any that doctorate... I just forgot the word of autophagy, okay. for example. Uh, Bless you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's any doctorate in the world where you literally need multiple years to get it. The, the... Uh, you need, I think, the maybe not the like eight or ten or a million years that, that we require in the U.S. per yeah. se, but like there's definitely some things are really hard and take a lot of time to learn. Yeah, I no, I agree, but I think that. If someone actually really cared about conveying knowledge well and quickly, they could teach one other person in less than 24 months anything that we know, as long as that the subject was, you know, intellectually capable of grasping it. I don't think you need eight years to learn this shit. And it's convenient. And we they, we teach a lot of other things as well, which is why it can take so long. But if you really wanted to teach someone one specific domain of knowledge, you could cover everything quickly. Maybe a specific fact. I wonder, I mean, if I had Richard Feynman's undivided time for two years, could he teach me everything he knew? About physics? Yeah. I think so. 
I don't know. I think you could give me a good instruction. I don't know if I can grasp those. some of the high-level math, honestly. I'm... Right. If you can't grasp the math, then that's an issue. Well, but I, I presumably could with enough time. I'd need two more years for that, right? Okay. I think that's where the multiple, like, I mean, I, I, see what, I see the point you're making, that some stuff might not take literal, you know, uh, 4,000 hours of dedicated time to to learn, but mm-hmm. it might take, you know, a couple thousand. I mean, you um, can you can put in 10 hours a day. In any reasonable person could six days a week. That's sixty hours a week that you can put into learning something. Easy, Elon. Most of us are way lazier than that. <laughs> yeah, and it's if not... you're motivated, you could totally do sixty hours oh, a week. I think See, there, the therein lies the rub. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the difference here between like you're out getting drinks with your friends and you're like, oh, I just did this cool paper on myelination with my, you know, right, yeah, mentor at work, and then like if your your audience probably doesn't want twenty four months. No. of knowledge about this they're like okay, well, okay so what's like the basic version of this and then it's actually kind of hard to figure out like yeah where to start and it's how certainly... much to simplify it and, and also sort of gauge how much they care like that's i get another fun autistic thing is like i love how you get with other rationalists because i almost never run into somebody who's just like oh i don't care just give me the short version yeah. like that's I, fun i mean it's certainly not something you can do in a few hours or even a few weeks so th- there can be great leaps of inferential distance that just make things impossible to explain to any reasonable audience like i i I got way off on a tangent where like someone really (laughs) dedicated and interested in something could learn something whereas what we're talking about right here is just general conveying information to other people that you know casually if i'm writing a book Hmm. or a paper or giving a talk and i only have an hour for the talk or something how much do I need to cover before I can get to my point? That that's where this comes in, right? right. It's I don't I don't have the audience's attention for four thousand hours. I only have them for one. So yeah. how much how how many steps do I need to cover before I can get there? Yeah. There's a good actually example of this in Sam Harris's latest episode. He had Neil deGrasse Tyson on, and Tyson wrote a co-authored a new book called Cosmic Queries, <laughs> which for longtime listeners of Star Talk Radio, his podcast, um, they'll recognize that that's a section of the show, and they just it's kind of like XKCD. Uh, what if questions cool um harris remarked that this book felt amazing it was like it was geared for somebody with not a, with without a science background yeah tyson's like, really good at i mean i guess that's why they picked him to be the new carl sagan but like conveying complicated topics to a lay audience in a way that's not just like going over your head but also like not intimidating or like some people, I don't know, like also just don't want to hear about stuff because they don't want to feel like they're being talked down to. I think they actually address that in the expecting short inferential distances. Yeah. Where at the end, of the, like Eliezer was like, you definitely better not tell people how many inferential steps you're going back in order to explain a thing to them because then they'll get mad. You know, both. Wait, you think I'm stupid? I can't understand this. They Like, well, no, you don't understand it. Both Tyson and uh, Sagan were uh, famously into the marijuana. Maybe they both think, how would I explain this to me after I've had a few joints? <laughs> Could be. I didn't know uh, Tyson was famously into it. Isn't he? Um, I think he's talked about it a few times on talk shows. I I don't follow him too closely, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe I, I'm mixing him up with someone else, but I, I wouldn't think I am because it's Tyson. Marijuana makes me better at empathy. Like It makes me less stuck in my own head, so I think that it's easier to both like listen to other people with your full attention and then also kind of think about their perspective while you're trying to talk to them. Maybe that's just me or maybe that's a more common experience. I think that's basically it. And that's basically what you get on MDMA. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, I, I mean, it's an empathogen, right? Yeah. I almost never use marijuana recreationally. I use it mostly to sleep, but what's fun is take it like a couple hours before bed 
and then you go take a shower and I've got a shower speaker to like listen to music. Um, Cause being left alone with my own thoughts, forget that even for a 10 minute oh. shower. So. Oh shit. <laughs> oh, I use aqua notes. They're like, you know, the waterproof little notepads and I have just a bunch of them stuck around in my shower to record shower thoughts. Hmm. Oh, that's I, fun. I actually just come up with a lot of my best ideas um, in the shower, which is common. Uh, but like, I usually rush through showers now. I'm like, I ain't got time for this. And so I oh, don't have a lot of brain power to devote to thinking about things. It's like, it's weird because it's not even brain power. It's sort of like, I think it engages the diffuse mode. That's inferential distance thing. Uh, let's see. The brain has the active mode and the diffuse mode. When you're consciously thinking about a thing, uh, you're, you get your best results generally by like crunching on it for a bit and then like going to sleep or playing a video game or taking a shower and you redirect your conscious uh, thoughts to something else while in the background diffuse mode keeps crunching on the problem and then like... It's it feels like magic sometimes where like maybe you'll be stuck on a math problem. You take a nap and you wake up and you're just like, oh, I know what that is. That's so obvious. Right. <laughs> I love that. I at least twice in the last year I've woken up with like a solution to a problem I was working on at work. Oh, awesome! And yep. uh, once one time was like a week late, and I was like, oh, that's why this didn't work. <laughs> but um, but it just feels like this flash of insight, right? Yeah. And then it's just it's kind of creepy, but it's actually just the fact that you don't see your brain doing like this me- the mechanisms in the background, but I just totally that. doing it. Yeah, I just appreciate that it's doing it. I, oh, but I brought up the Tyson thing real quick because he remarked when Sam said that, he says, I'm glad you said that because that's interesting. My first book that I wrote, I'm quoting Tyson, I wrote for adults and, um, or maybe I forget what audience he wrote it for. Point is, is that um, adults felt like they weren't adult science books if they could understand the whole thing. Oh. And that <laughs> they were like, no, if, if this is an adult book, there should be some stuff that goes over my head. Huh. And so since I can understand this, this must be for kids. Wow, that's um, fucked up. Well, not necessarily a bad. I don't know if that if was like to say this is a kid's book. Forget this; it's not for me. But it must be geared towards a lower audience because I understood it all. Which, yes, that is fucked up in the sense that you shouldn't feel that way about science stuff. Yeah. But it was just a. I, you know, I knew we were doing this post. I was listening to this podcast yesterday, and I'm like, hey, this ties in perfectly. They're not using the word inferential distance, but they're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this trilemma that he brings up about in the ancestral environment. If someone said something with no obvious support, they're either a liar or an <laughs> idiot. Um, and conversely, if someone says something to you and they don't have, uh, or rather, if you say something to someone that to you is blatantly obvious, but the other person see it, then they're the other, then they're the idiot, or they're being obstinate just to annoy you. And then to top it all off, if someone says something with no obvious support and expects you to believe it, then they must be crazy. Yeah, you're unlikely to think this person has well-supported background knowledge that no one in my band has even heard of, right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is maybe giving, I mean, like, I, I get, uh, this is a good intuition pump for maybe the way people have experienced this in their own lives. But like, this is sort of uh, not giving, I think, hunter-gatherers enough credit. For example, things like creating arrowheads uh or building fires are actually kind of hard and often like there would be like the uh, one or two or i don't know how many people like that are the experts at that thing people had specialization in things early on making like the best balanced spears or spear throwers um things like which plants are edible how to identify them uh tanning leathers making clothes this shit's actually pretty hard Uh, and then like it's not even getting into agriculture which is insanely hard uh, but, but like, I think he, he softens it for himself by talking pre-agriculture, but, but your point stands. That, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was, he just put it that way. Like, oh yeah, there's stupid cavemen, you know, like, <laughs> well, those, those, those cavemen. Not, was, not straight up like calling out his audience. 
or whatever, or his specific group of friends. <laughs> yeah, but, th- but those cave those cave cave in with simpler um, lifestyles, right? It might be possible as as a cave dweller, whatever, thirty thousand years ago, to by the time you're an adult uh, or middle aged or whatever, to un- to know enough to get by. You know everything that everyone knows. You know mm-hmm. how to tan leather. You know how you know which fruits are are safe. You know all that stuff. And even if you don't know everything, you're no more than one step away. Like the guy that can nap out uh, arrowheads can be like, you know how some rocks are sharp? <laughs> and you know how sometimes when you hit two rocks together, one of them will break? Well, if you do it just right, you can make it break so it's sharp in the way you want it to be. Yeah, you could like, maybe not in one sitting, but like you could apprentice somebody in making arrowheads. And I think most people probably could pick it up. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. But yeah, he he like he points out a biologist talking to a physicist can justify evolution by saying it's the simplest explanation. And anyone, you know, well-versed in science knows that that is a word of power and it means a lot. Whereas to a layperson saying, but it's the simplest explanation may sound like an interesting factoid, but it's not a knockdown argument because they don't know how powerful of a tool that is. Well, and I think even one step beyond that, it's not, if you have no back, you know, take, take it to somebody who doesn't know what genes are. Hmm. He doesn't know what cells are. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's this is the simple, simplest explanation. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? The simplest explanation is that someone made us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is a very intuitive and simple sounding explanation. That's right? true. Yeah. Um, I've seen people make things before. I can imagine a very big, powerful person making a very complicated thing like a human. Yeah. Yeah, you just scoop up some clay. <laughs> right. <laughs> then you blow into its nostrils. You pull a rib out and you make a <laughs> female version. Because you ran out of clay, so I guess you needed to use a rib instead. There was a quote that I liked here. Um, a clear argument has to, or excuse me, a clear argument has to lay out an inferential pathway starting from what the audience already knows or accepts. If you don't recurse far enough, you're just talking to yourself. And that's why I liked um, the greatest show on earth, uh, Richard Dawkins' evolution tutorial book, so much. Yeah. I don't think it was till like chapter four or five where he starts actually talking about evolution. Oh, cool. He even says this this is getting us close to it, but we're not there yet. We're going to keep daisy chaining on the way to understanding this. Yeah. And, um, I think there must be some discussion of cells and genes, but then, you know, there was a whole chapter on domestication. It's like, this is something everyone huh. knows because everyone has seen dogs, right? Yeah. And so like that, but we're not domesticating, you know, we do the domestication of dogs, but just imagine nature domesticating them for another purpose. And yeah. so Actually, it, dogs domesticated themselves. Yeah. A <laughs> little column A, a little column B, probably. Um, pugs Sorry, didn't domesticate themselves. Being pedantic. Yeah. No, no, but yeah, fair point. Um, <laughs> seen the, the, the comic strip of the dog that, the, the early wolf dog ancestor? I have not. It, it runs up to a human, or doesn't run up to a human. It cautiously approaches a human. I think this is probably an SMBC. And uh, <laughs> the human like has some leftover scraps. And the dog says, okay, I, I can eat these scraps. And I'll hang out with the humans. It'll be all right. And the other wolves are like, don't do it. You don't know what will happen. This is a bad, <laughs> bad idea. And the dog is like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I'll eat some of their scraps. I'll help them a little bit with stuff they need. We can be a good symbiotic relationship. Please tell me the last panel is a pug. Fast forward 10,000 years, it's a pug in like one of those bonnets and shit looking up balefully at its owner. <laughs> what have you done to me? Man, I was at a bar and I was at like a, a sports bar, but they had like, I, I appreciate this about Denver. I don't know if this is just a thing that like bars are starting to do more of, but they don't just have the footballs on. They had like hockey, golf, uh, some MMA and then just like a dog show. So of course, me and my friends were all watching the dog show and commenting on the dogs. And I was I just started laughing my ass off when there was like the pug that was the best in breed because <laughs> it was like the saddest like ping pong 
ball head and like potato body and mm-hmm. like little curly tail. And I was just like most deformed by the human breeders. The, they made it non-functional as an animal. It can't walk. Yeah. Its spine gets messed up because of the curly tail. It can't like its little ears get ear infections. It can't close its eyes all the way. So like it can't oh, really? breathe because its face its is nose. smushed yeah. in to make it look like a little person face. Wait, they can't close their eyes all the way. Some dogs that have that they bred them specifically for having the big eyes because that's cute. Yeah, uh, ha- get like blindness or eye injuries and just like issues by yeah not being able to close their eyes all the way properly. I didn't realize that was a thing too. I'd heard of all the others, but man. But this little pug just did the best at being a little pug and doing his little puggy best. Well it was the best in breed and it was the most puggy pug that I'd ever seen. Yay. I was like, we did that to a dog or we did that to a wolf. I know. There's wow. there's some things that like once we're done with the factory farms and the nightmare farms they are, maybe we should start working on not intentionally making these genetic monstrosities good people that are for example with pugs like there's the retro pug project where people are trying to breed the pug back to a healthier form that still looks pug like but like it has a nose Mm. (laughs) i can dig it yeah i like seeing um uh i don't know i i mean some some purebred dogs are fun um but like you know this is a common thing the more purebred you get the more problem genetic problems they tend to have right it depends also on what you're breeding it for that was kind of like actually like me and my bunch of nerds were talking about this but like they have the different categories of like sporting breeds herding breeds and the ones that jobs are usually pretty functional the ones that win the like you know best in the herding category have to be functional because like the whole point is you're counting on them to guard your sheep or whatever and but then you got into the toy category and it's just like i guess their function is to be delightful to humans dogs with jobs are usually um <laughs> psychologically healthier too because you know oh, dogs they like have something to do thing to do like yeah. I, I find it really funny that like, corgis, like for humans. example even though they like look like little breads with a tail or no they don't even have a tail like they're just they're they just do little have breads. a tail the tail is cut off uh usually when they're puppies oh what, do what they they dog the tails on uh, it depends on the corgi some are bred some some don't have tails i've yeah i heard that can happen but it's extremely rare almost I, all the corgis that you see have had their tails cut uh i don't know what percentage almost all means because i know that less than 10 percent. i will double check that okay because i know that uh congenital non-tailed ones are um i didn't think a one in ten occurrence but uh, i also know this because i like corgis yeah. yeah, corgis were an example of like a pretty dog that I, you know, think think is fun when they're when they're purebred. But they also look fun crossed with literally anything because you just get that dog. Oh my god, I love it! Yeah, if any dog mixed with a corgi just looks like a derpier version of that dog. Yeah, like especially like I don't know if if you want to I don't know if you're having a bad day, listeners, just look up like corgi mixed with like a chow or corgi mixed with like a mastiff, and it's just like mixed breed corgi. Yeah, Doberman corgi is just like it has the like. You know, very stern German-looking, like sort of military. But then, like, it's just got a little bit of a dopey smile going on, and it's a little floppy. But anyway, corgis are breeding are do- uh, breeding. They're herding dogs, and they're really intelligent. And so, if you just have one as a pet and you don't give it things to do, it'll just try to herd things like children or you, <laughs> you <guys laughs> or the other pets in your house. <laughs> Speaking of, if you need to pick me up, you guys funny. said dogs with jobs. It's also a great subreddit. Dogs with jobs? Mm-hmm. Cool. There's also cats with jobs. Oh, uh, yeah. Cats, I, with, cats with jobs is mainly just like, 
a cat sitting on a keyboard and it's like, look, our new IT manager, <laughs> which is really cute. <laughs> the cat's natural job is to eat rodents and other pests. That That is the occasional post on there. You'll be like, you know, uh, there's, you know, it works for a museum and it's actually got a little badge that says like head mouser of the museum, which nice. is really, really cute. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that like the cat, I don't know, like I've definitely met some cats that are just terrible at their job. Like I was hanging out with a friend's cat one day and just like an insect fell from the ceiling and then just fell on its back on the couch between us and was waving its legs around like stuck. And the cat just looked at it and then looked at me and I was like, what? you're not doing the cat thing. Are you going to? No, it just like righted itself and then slowly walked away and the cat sort of yawned and looked away and i was just like hmm <laughs> you would not have been kept around no nope. in like the early agricultural days but my cat is great because she catches flies oh that's awesome and she will leap in the air and bat them like mm-hmm. out of the sky which is insane because flies are very fast yeah and i wouldn't normally suspect her of being capable of these things because she also does some really derpy things but like she she can snap into predator mode when necessary anyway though uh are we done with i guess inferential distances except uh, for two corgi facts one okay. a lot of corgis do have tails and they're big and bushy and adorable okay and i found a two-thirds number two-thirds uh are, I, born when without, I was, are born without tails born without when i was looking i just saw that it's rare for them to be without but they didn't have any numbers two-thirds born without though pembroke corgis were also bred with a gene that affects about two-thirds of all pembrokes those are the the queen ones, the, the 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 tan and white ones. Oh, maybe the thing I was looking at was looking at all corgis rather than just Pembroke corgis. The cardigan ones are like the black and gray and white ones. Okay, those tend to ha- usually have tails. Okay, okay. Um, I'm a I'm kind of a corgi expert. No. All right, all right. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm a corgi enthusiast. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, I don't endorse uh, that tail business. Fuck all that. If anyone's yeah. gonna go lopping things off of anything, I think it makes sense for. I mean, like. Dobermans that are working dogs, they crop the ears and tails because they're like police dogs and they don't want them to get injured. Mm. But like, then people How would also not having just a tail make, looks. make you a more uh, dangerous. It's so, I guess, like another people dog or a person yeah, for, can't For grab all it. of a second until the Doberman rips its hands off. <laughs> if anything, I think that makes the Doberman more dangerous, which is kind of what you want in a guard animal. Well, you don't want it to get injured. Mm. No. You want it to true. injure the other guy. Right. <laughs> I'm going to breed a Doberman that's just all teeth and claws someday. And what was the other corgi fact? Uh, might have been about cardigans and uh, oh, Pembroke. Wow. Okay. But the other thing was that according to poodlemixclub.com slash corgi poo, um, <laughs> most are born with no tails. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. I, I need to see I, a picture of a corgi poo. I was, I was just happy to uh, to share that because I, I wouldn't... Thank have, you for correcting the record. I wouldn't just be... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so enthusiastic about them if I knew that most of them were mutilated at birth. So. Yeah. Oh my God. Corgi poos are like what you'd expect. It's a corgi, but it's just like real curly. Hmm. Hold on. I, I, Google this now too. Extra boof. <laughs> I do want to end this just by focusing <laughs> on uh, Eliezer's last sentence where he says, and if you think you can explain the concept of systematically underestimated inferential differences briefly in just a few words, I've got some sad news for you. <laughs> and in part, that's, you know, a joke about how long this post is, but also it's not just this post, like almost at least several dozen of the last few posts have been leading up to this, if not most of the sequences up until now. Like, I mean, the sequences are in sort of a effort to, to go go several inferences yeah, back to and get the explain average, these like complicated. Uh, it's in large part an attempt to get the layperson to understand just from their regular background knowledge to why uh, general AI is a big deal and could be a human existential threat, and we should work on it. 
Yeah. And, you know, he's gotten this far so far. And we've been going at this for a number of years. Admittedly, we've only done two per one per week on average. And he posted, you know, like two, three per week. I think it was every day for two years. Every day. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, he, it wouldn't have taken him nearly as long as it's taking us, but yeah, it was a lot of time just to get to this point to lead up to here. Yeah. I wanted to, to pull that out as well. Cause I was curious if, have, if either of you have ever successfully conveyed the idea of infer- inferential distance to somebody outside the, the rationalist sphere, double illusion of not, transparency, notwithstanding. Huh? Not successfully. I have had unsuccessful attempts. And I do tend to run into the whole like person just sort of being like, oh, you just think you're smarter than me because you've got your fancy degree or you're on the internet all the time or whatever. Like, Yeah, my, the whole being condescending is a big failure mode. I keep thinking of my dad. Or thinking like, you're condescending. Kind of, I don't know. I feel like I bust on my dad on the show a lot. <laughs> if he doesn't listen to it at some point, he's not a dumb person. It's just like a stubborn person, but like he's, you know, uh, anti like global warming uh i'm the, also anti-global warming we shouldn't do that i mean like <laughs> i know i know <laughs> i tried to explain like to him one time the that, current like, temperature men like women with large breasts because of obvious evolutionary things and he just laughed it was like it's i like, just not, like them because they're pretty nobody's looking at breasts and thinking oh like that person would be good at feeding babies and i was just like no they're not thinking it like uh. you don't need to be thinking it. yeah, <laughs> yeah and right. then like yeah. Also money where like my dad is against the stock market and he found out that I was investing. He's like, oh man, like you can't be doing that fake money shit. And I was like, all money do is you fake. understand that? Yeah. Like all money, like that. this is a piece of cotton that's reinforced with like, I don't know what money's made of anymore. You could, you could just say, yeah, it's a, <laughs> piece of, it's a piece of paper with like a president's face on it that we've all sort of just like mass hallucinated ourselves into believing has value. I mean, you most do understand now- this, right? Like, <laughs> Most money nowadays is just a number in some bank's computer. Yeah, it's like you, you cannot eat this though, because like right. that was my my dad's thing is that there's real money and fake money, and mm. money that is in the stock market is fake money because its value can change. And I was just like, but actual mo- like inflation, <laughs> dad. <laughs> if we're gonna say real money and fake money, real money is stuff, and it's right. stuff that people need. But that's not money. That's just that's that's wealth. But y- yeah, I suppose so. Or, but I, I'm just thinking like if that's a, that's about as real as money can get. Yeah, right? you're right. it's like look. Things you, you can you trade need for these, things you need that people need to survive, survive right? Now but like I can money, with you. money specifically is like super fungible. It's the whole point of money is that it's it's abstract. It's not an actual thing. Totally. Well, and like the, the other just main virtue of money is that I can transfer like, what do you need to live? You know, food, water, electricity. Well, you have all that stuff, but I need skill of yours. Well, how about I give you instead of shit you don't need like stuff i give you stuff that you can go get stuff that you want with it right right? right. and we call that stuff money yeah um how about i give you 10 electricities which you can later barter for food (laughs) right actually i think that is hilarious is my my dad is a carpenter and he does actually barter system stuff a lot one time he like remodeled a a dude's kitchen in exchange for getting a dental work oh that's cool so like maybe he's actually just sort of coming from a, a even further place of inferential distance and then neither of them is text on that too yep like, Even though technically they're supposed to declare it to the government and be like, here's your money for the thing he did. <laughs> but yeah, no <laughs> one does that. There was one last thing on this post. Um, I don't usually read the comments, but I had time this weekend. And uh, the top comment was really good by user constant two. The explanation from ancestral environment seems likely. However, there's also a rational argument for refusing to accept a claim unless all steps have been laid out from your own knowledge to the claim. While there are genuine truth seekers who have a genuinely who have genuinely found truth and who were therefore who we therefore ideally believe, ah, <laughs> sorry. While there are people who are 
genuine truth seekers who have genuinely found truth and who we therefore should ideally believe. Nevertheless, a blanket policy of simply taking steps at uh, taking people at their word. Thank you. Go ahead and someone else finish that. Has the unfortunate side effect of also rendering us vulnerable to humbug. Great word. Because we're not equipped to tell apart humbug from the true statements, many steps removed from our knowledge. Which, yeah, was kind of what I was saying about how, like, I I feel like we're kind of like being mean to hunter gatherers because they're actually, you know, yeah, they 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 had they (laughs) they, yeah they they knew complex stuff that would take a long time for me to learn, and they they yeah they weren't just sitting there shitting in their hands and you know painting on walls, right? Like they 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 were doing stuff. (laughs) They weren't just doing that. Yeah. In addition to doing that, they were doing other things. But I I brought I pulled this one out because. You know, say you're looking for a treatment for something and someone's like, oh, you know what you really need is my really expensive um, crystal therapy or something. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure that's bullshit. They could try to, you know, if they were somehow also first in rationalist lingo, they'd be like, look, I just, we haven't crossed all the inferential steps that you need to understand this, which yeah. is, you know, if that, that could be true for real stuff too, right? Yes. Um, so it's, it's interesting that uh, I, I think the, I think the, I think constant two makes a, a valid point yeah. that. Like rejecting stuff you don't understand. Yeah. Um, like if you didn't have any knowledge of, I don't know, you have like gallstones and you're somebody that has just never looked this up, you're fucking busy. And like you get three people saying, okay, well, you could take this medicine or you could do like this therapy or this diet or you could use these crystals. You'd want the people to each explain, okay, well, why should I do this instead of this other thing? Right. And I think that um, I wish that there was like more respect for the you know neil degrasse tyson's of the world the type of person who is actually really good at laying something out and sort of being able to gauge where you are inferentially what things they need to explain to you and then catching sort of whether you're confused or not and filling those gaps in i've definitely seen this again i'm like the medical professions on my mind but there's some doctors that will just talk completely over their patients heads or will just do argument for authority like oh no this is what all the papers say is the best treatment or whatever versus like uh i have a great psychiatrist who's a nerd like me so the last call i did with my psych just to like discuss how my meds were working we ended up not even talking about that where it was just like talking about different like neurotransmitters and new papers that are out and novel therapies and how excited we were about that. But like my, my psych is the type of person who, if I had questions, I would like trust that she either is going to tell me like what she knows to the best of her knowledge, or she'll be like, huh, you know what? I actually don't know. I'm going to look that up and I'll send you some articles and then my, my sort of professional valuation of it, which is great. Yeah, um, I was going to mention the opposite of this, which was many people in school had a teacher had been teaching the same subject for thirty years, oh, yeah. and they just they're just reading the textbook to you, or or they're like, I get you know, half my class usually gets C's because or D's, you know, because this stuff is hard. And it's like, no, you just suck at teaching it, yeah. and you don't remember what it's like to not know this stuff. You shouldn't yeah, be yeah. proud of that fact. It's easy for you to think, oh no, this is actually easy. Y'all should understand it because you've been understanding it for you know decades, and they don't they don't remember what it's like to come from that position of ignorance. Yeah. So before we end this, can I take it real quick to culture war land to get a little spicy, but only <laughs> just for a second? Okay. Um, so I, that's where we're going. So, okay. I, I see, I'd like to occasionally, maybe once every couple months or so, watch videos from partisans on either side that are, that are popular with the peoples, I guess. Um, either not, side of what? Of the culture war, both people on far left and far right. Oh, so just or like not far, morality things or... Politics well, uh, things. Yeah, politics things. I'm specifically I'm thinking on the right side, the Hodgman twins. Uh they have a cool YouTube thing and they're very charismatic. They're fun to watch. 
and there's two of them and one of them is like more extreme than the other so you can like see this interplay it's really interesting but anyways um i i see this on both sides where someone will say i don't even understand how the people on the right okay. think they ought they just must be greedy bastards who believe i got mine the rest of you can all fuck off and die they're literally evil there's no point negotiating with them and i see the same thing uh with one of the hodgman twins he sometimes says things like lefty you you must be brain damaged either that or you're just evil and like like he honestly doesn't understand how someone on the left could think and come to the conclusions that they've come to that brings them so so far from where he is and his brother like tries to rein him and he's like no no they're not evil there's like ways you can come to this conclusion he's like no no there's no way it's not possible and obviously it is but like people on both sides do it all the time and i think it's just because there's such a huge inferential distance of if you started out in a certain culture and your culture keeps going in a certain way over many decades and seeing the same kind of evidence murder yeah, yeah yeah it it really leads up to a vast difference in the end that you have to go way, way back to, to bridge that gap. This will tie really well into basically point three that comes up in our main segment here. But um, yeah, I, in general, if you're explaining away something that or somebody or some group of people that disagree with you as saying they're just evil or whatever. Stupid or evil. You don't understand where they're coming from. And it's not that you can't because you're not a bad person and only bad people can understand where they're coming from. It's that they don't think they're bad people. And it's not because they're woefully misguided. They might be, but they're they're not so misguided that you can't at least understand where they're coming from. Oh, yeah. That's also a thing that I've run into where people, and I've experienced this myself like much earlier on, I think before this became an explicit value of mine, where people don't even want to try to understand where they're coming from because they're worried that they'll get tainted. Mm, Yeah. That is related also to the main segment all right so, well then let's finish this up uh, for next time all right next time we're doing three because one of them is crazy short and okay. basically covered in this one um explainers shoot high aim low double illusion of transparency and no one knows what science doesn't know excellent Alrighty, let's before we get into our main topic have a quick feedback from last episode we haven't had one of these in a long time, and this one is special because the person giving the feedback is local to Colorado, um, and so local that she lives with me. Yes, so uh, we can actually actually have her on for the uh, feedback segment. Hey, Miss Charlie, would you like to say hello? Aloha, y'all. <laughs> you had some feedback for us. Yeah, um, so the last episode, I enjoyed it a lot, but it was also frustrating. That's um, what I like to hear. because uh i think a lot of points were lost because of no set vocabulary um and you guys got off track a lot because you didn't have a set vocabulary as you kept talking about children when we were the discussion was supposed to be about young adults and you kept mentioning using the word children when you're talking about young adults and teens using the word teens when you're talking about children and young adults and just switching terms. And then you kept getting pulled into talking about children. And um, that's an entirely different discussion because we're not talking about um, pre-adolescents and, uh, you know, possibly tweens, but definitely not pre-adolescents. So that would have been helpful. And uh, if you guys so Stephen, do Stephen, stop it- calling 24-year-olds children. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I to be fair... Uh, I think this just demonstrates the fuzziness of the concepts, right? Mm-hmm. So it 
that that's and that's part of what the article was getting at. It's kind of what uh, we were struggling with the books, too, I think. Yeah. Well, we struggled with it I think because the concepts are fuzzy. Like Well, I think children should absolutely not be used for anyone who's gotten through puberty. I understand that the concepts as they stand are fuzzy, but there's no reason you guys can't make it better. Right. We could, we totally could have laid it out better, but yeah, I, I children is preteen, and anybody who's hit thirteen or older is now a teen rather than a child. Sure. Because yeah, that's it's in part of the n- name of their age. Teens are teens, and you could use young adults for people that are in an age range of teen, but not voting yet. So not uh, according to our current laws, officially an adult at eighteen magically. Bing. And interestingly, the young adult uh, book. Um, classification is for people generally around 13 14 and up like um the the hunger game series is probably the most well-known young adult series i'm i'm not sure if that's still true but yeah that that, that's aimed for people around the 13 14 age range it's like hunger games twilight uh harry potter books which the later harry potter books i don't think the earlier ones were quite ya they were probably more like yeah they were early reader yeah yeah but yeah um Charlie, are you familiar with tabooing terms? I feel like, because I feel like Vaguely, that's something we I could probably do more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It helps me get on track. <laughs> when you say, can we taboo like the word children, it forces people to say what they really mean. Because we might have different mental handles that attach to the word child, like you and I might, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're like, all right, look, we're talking past each other when we keep using the word child. Let's say anyone under 12. Or and, prepubescent. Sure. And then that way, like, because I might, I might mean child, it mean anybody who's... I wouldn't, childish behavior. <laughs> or yeah, or anyone who I wouldn't trust to operate a motor vehicle or something. You know, I could have some Donald have Trump some esoteric definition, sure. <laughs> um I don't know what Donald Trump is. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 tabooing is saying, all right, let's have this conversation again, or at least continue this conversation without using the word that keeps confusing us, right? Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that that's a that that would have been uh valuable. Like I said, I think I think there's some self awareness of that during the episode. But uh, yeah, it might have been. I don't listen to the, our podcast, so um, <laughs> it it may have come off way more annoying than it was to talk about. So uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I hope I can be helpful in the future. Um, totally, because there's there's nothing you guys can't do when you uh, take a coffee break, <laughs> kind of recalibrate. <laughs> there's nothing we can't do once we've got the power of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subtext. I feel uh, like Charlie, you would be a really good moderator. <laughs> Like, everybody shut up. Okay, what are we talking about? <laughs> or like, wait, go back. We we have had some requests to have more Charlie on the show already. Ah, uh, shucks and thanks. Um, and I wanted to clarify a couple things about um, young adults and sex. Because, um, you know, it was pointed out that, oh, uh, I'm an exception because I'm inc- incredibly, mat- I was incredibly mature for my age. And also, like, uh, I turned out okay, um, despite the stuff that I went through. And uh, I just felt like when I was listening to that, I got a little uncomfortable because if someone didn't hear that episode, they might not understand the context of the discussion properly. So I just wanted to uh, make it clear, like, there's no point in our last discussion that I deny that sexual events can be traumatic regardless of age. And yeah. that's an important distinction. Um, I think I also said that, but like, I also just want to keep reiterating that. So people don't get the wrong idea that like, yes, PTSD can happen and it can be really like debilitating. Uh, 
not everyone that has stuff happen to them, I guess, you know, does come out of it okay. Or even like the sort of, well, you're an exception because you came out fine. Like, it's like, maybe like I'm functional now as an adult, but like, it, it doesn't mean I came out fine. Like, I still have traumatic flashbacks to stuff. But, like, I can function, but like, I've gone through therapy and shit too. And not everybody has the same accesses to resources or whatever, the same supportive friendships that I've had. So like, I yeah, I hope that I guess both of us weren't like downplaying the seriousness of the topic. Thank you, Jace. Yeah. I, I just want to, you know, the fact that I am a functioning adult now, um, I just want to let people know that that is harder than it looks. <laughs> and it's a recent development in my mental health. I, it, I don't, I'm much higher functioning than I was just a year ago versus two years ago. And if you were to meet me a decade ago, well, I don't think we'd be having this productive discussion. And it's, I, um, I'm not smarter. I'm mentally healthier. So there's definitely damage. The damage of mental health issues is real and it's ongoing and it's so contextual and unique to each individual. So I want to acknowledge that. And um, I also want to, that to give power to my argument that um, young adults should be recognized um, as young adults and treated as such. Um, I don't think that uh, you mean as putting opposed people to just in saying... bubble wrap because they might be traumatized or make a mistake that they regret is worth the damage that it does, uh, yeah. preventing them from being capable. Um, you do have to... You have to experience mistakes to learn from them and you have to experience responsibility in ever-changing amounts to grow. Yeah. Preferably like in a supportive environment too. Yes. Like not just, just like, yeah, let kids go make mistakes, but like let's not put any support structure in place to like help them out when they get traumatized. Right. <laughs> sure. Or but just complete infantilization it retards your growth. It doesn't make you safer it, it makes you a worse human that's actually the entire subject of today's episode which is why this is a good this is why i chose this one for a good continuation of the last two cool um no i, th I mean you make a good point i you know I, I read back through this week of um or i skimmed through inyasha's notes on that book and like i'm, I'm still mainly convinced that 90 percent of that problem can be solved with just not having shitty parents and school is, <laughs> school is its own subject. No, I mean it. No, no, I, yeah, I understand just... that you're saying that, but like 90% of the problem of falling off a cliff and dying is gravity. Like not having shitty parents is an extremely hard problem to solve. Right. You can't just say, stop having shitty parents, kid. No, no. I, I, I agree that this is like a, like an avenue for people with shitty parents to find a way to get out of that situation a little easier than they have it now. Um, it's still one of those things where like, you know, if you're 14 and want to emancipate and you can't drive, well, someone still needs to get you the nine miles from here to the testing center where you take that test, right? And you like, still need some amount of, or what am I trying to say? Like, uh, I think if a 14 year old is emancipated and they're like, it's like, okay, kid, we'll give you your own apartment and here's like your bus pass. Like, that's still, I think, not great because you need you need role models, like mentor figures. It doesn't have to be a parent. In fact, it's probably worse if it's a shitty parent, but like. And I think much of the point is that the current system encourages parents to be what we call shitty parents because that is viewed as the correct and proper way to raise children. Mm -hmm. You do send them to school like this. You do have control over their lives. You put on curfews. You don't allow them privileges if they do things you consider irresponsible. Like that is what being a good parent is. And uh, that's bad. I've seen some real extreme versions like 
you've probably seen these YouTube videos of a parent like smashing a child's PlayStation in front of them because the kid didn't listen to the parent. And then like, you're supposed to cheer for that parent. Like, Oh, that, that dad's a hero. And it's just like, that is just straight up abuse. I feel like you guys are making things up. Sorry. I don't usually <laughs> disagree with that vehemently, but I do not think the, that the role model, maybe, maybe different ideals of parenting have different standards, but I've never seen those YouTube videos, but I've heard about them. I feel like those are shown to showcase horrible people. In an office I used to work at, somebody, like a, a bunch of my coworkers had kids and somebody like posted that, I think on our like off topic Slack is like, look at this, this is hilarious. And then the, like sort of the general idea was people laughing like, oh yeah, like look at that dumb kid. Or, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe you work with stupid people. Maybe I've just got high standards of people or something, <laughs> but like at the very least, that's a really stupid thing to do as a parent because PlayStations cost money. And you can make the same point by unplugging it and taking it away, but and you not, shouldn't not unplug smash it, it and take it away either. No, but 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 if if your if your goal is to prevent the child from doing it, which again shouldn't be whatever, but like that's just, like but just, is, that is just stupid hitting it with a hammer. That was right? public humiliation, right? But also that's that's the point. If your child doesn't go to school, you have to discipline them. You take away their property. If your child uh, wants to go downtown. And like, I don't know, hang out with friends or learn something in their off time instead of going to school, then you're supposed to do these things. Take away their freedoms, make them more like an infant. Or at least according mm. to some like schools of thought about parenting. I will say, I mean, not only are you supposed to, but like you can get fined or go to jail if you don't. Well, that's new. Mm. Yeah. I think that's not that new. Like that there's definitely been like. That's like, I think 15 years ago was. So that's new to me because so now, the now whole that idea of control old. your kids like. No, no, like the idea that there was, it might have been in 2003 or five. This is in Jonathan Haidt's essay. Um, parents are, you know, the, the first case of a parent being arrested for their child going to a park unattended. Oh, no, um, no, no. I'm not even talking about, well, I mean, yes, that's just stupid. And I'm glad they're starting to put laws to make that kind of law illegal or that kind of thing illegal. But like, even when I was 14, which truancy was. laws. Yeah, yeah. Well, truancy laws have been along for a, a long example. time. Yeah, that you have to be in school or the parent gets a fine or jail time. But even when I was 14, and I knew or that their children taken away. Yeah. If I were to cause some sort of property damage to someone else, if I were to smash their car up or something, it'd be my parents that would have to pay for that. Because uh, well, you don't have money. Well, right. But that it means that I am not an adult. I am a child. They are still liable for what I do. And so now they have to act like jailers to keep me in line. What, what would... And I don't want to have the whole last episode again, but I'm kind of curious. What would you have instead? You're 12. You think it'd be a lot of fun to go down the street on your bike with a sharp stick on the end of a, or the, yeah, with a sharp rock on the end of a stick and just key every car on mm -hmm. the road. And so what maybe, let's say you're 13. So you're past that magic number that instead of 18 is now 13. Mm -hmm. So now you're a young adult. Maybe what what should the state to... do? Make you get a job and pay for it? Well, Either, absolutely. But, but, how, but yes. how, how many. Or do community service. But like, make but you, you pay guys, for it or even it put like you in easy. jail for vandalism if that is a lie, if that is a thing that adults could go to jail for. So we're talking about keeping kids still within a realm of protection. I guess young adults. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Again, concepts are fuzzy. But let's throw this 13 year old who's a fucking idiot because they're 13 mm -hmm. in jail and have them I really enjoy the benefits no, of prison. I'm against the if, penal system. That's not right. re rehabilitative and it serves no one to throw anyone in jail. Uh, except I, in extreme cases yeah. i basically agree that we should get rid of the jail but uh treat them like any other adult that has committed a crime and yeah. hopefully that Recompense crime does not yeah word. hopefully the I punishment think, does not include jail because the system is fucked up if it does but treat them like an adult i think i disagree with treating them the, exactly the same as a 30 year old but like they're could be tiers of responsibility that you unlock that yep. are more nuanced than the ones we have now. These like sharp categories 
or these fuzzy categories, honestly. Mm. Um, like like maybe it, you would go to, you'd have to go to like after school rehabilitation things, do community service and like. Just basically jail light. I mean, um, if, if they're too, if they're literally mentally incompetent to realize what they were doing would get them in trouble and is a bad thing to do, then you treat them like a child. That's literally what a child is. Someone who is mentally incompetent to I understand that. Think also but if should... they have the mental competency to understand it, you treat them like a person who has the mental competency to know that this is a bad thing and they shouldn't do it. I don't but... think the competency is binary. I think it's gradual. Right. But agreed. I think yeah. it's also not just competency. Like if a 14 year old is vandalizing a bunch of property, like there's probably some other shit going on that's causing them to behave that way because I, you know, um, worked at a library with a bunch of teens and I like, you know, I think if you asked most of them, like, is that a cool or funny thing to do? Like most of them actually are like, well, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want someone to do that to my property. And that's just like, obviously bad and dumb and you'll get in trouble. Right. <laughs> and then there's like other kids who, if they're acting out, maybe what, who would act out. And I could, I could generally always tell why it was usually because their parents are shit yeah. <laughs> or because, you know, like uh, there was a elementary school across the street from the library and a lot of parents both worked and they would tell their kids, okay, go to school. After school, you walk to the library and then you wait there until we pick you up at eight or 9 PM, mm -hmm. sometimes without giving them food. Oh. And it's like, if you've been locked in school for eight hours already, like you got up at 6 AM, which is ridiculous for an adolescentish brain. Uh, that's treating like an adult. Like it, uh, adults aren't forced to go to someplace unless they're in jail or have to go to work. But, like, yeah. but you, you don't decided, have to go to work. If you've you don't decided want you want a job. Well, those sure. are their you literally you decided you wanted to eat and stay warm. Yeah, you literally don't have to go to work, whereas you have to go to they school. They have to work for a living. They're culpable for their children if anything happens. They're roaming around. It's very different. Like it was like, like there would be some instances of parents that were just negligent, and then there were some instances of parents that were working their asses off at multiple jobs and just couldn't afford. Like they, yeah, they were doing the best they could. Mm -hmm. But like actually, you could see the difference in those kids too. The the kids whose parents were doing the best they could like the, the kids were smart enough to kind of recognize that they tended not to be the ones that acted out mm -hmm. it was the ones whose parents would like i don't know just be those weird jerky sort of parents that sort of commanded their kids around like it was a dog they owned mm -hmm. who would end up throwing a football around in the library and breaking stuff rebellion yeah. and yeah. attention seeking behavior yeah. right, just like lashing out against a system that like honestly is being pretty bad to them yeah. and i think that kid shouldn't necessarily be punished like a criminal like probably they could use some counseling maybe somebody could actually look at their parent situation and be like i don't know what they could do but well and in a world where the system isn't designed to make the parents be the jailers of their kids this would be a problem much less often yeah. The kids wouldn't be treated like dogs because oh. they would have other options. Yeah. Well, one of the issues actually, like kids that, were, you know, for example, the kids that were throwing a football around, it's because they were locked, they're locked up indoors all day and they have tons of energy, but mm -hmm. like they sometimes would try to go play in the parking lot. And we as like the library staff would have to tell them you're not allowed to do that because a car could hit you and then we'd be liable. Because we have to infantilize you. Because mm -hmm. that. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm pretending <laughs> to use the language of the infuriated, t treating kids like kids. But. Yeah. No, it was like actually like really it was a hard decision to make. It was hard to discipline some of these kids because I felt like very sympathetic. I was like, I wish I could tell you like, Hey, why don't you go down to the park? It's only like a short bike ride away. But like the parents were entrusting the library to be free daycare for these kids. And then like, yeah, maybe we could be liable if we told them, Hey, go to the park. And then they got kidnapped or whatever. Not that that would be likely to happen, but 
I also felt gaslit by parts of the conversation because you guys are like kids can't have jobs, kids can't have money, and I'm like young I, adults, right? Okay, young adults. Sorry, mm-hmm. but like I distinctly remember having a job at before I was old enough to drive. Yeah, I had a and job like, at 14. It was under the table though. And I, like, I think not I had everyone. a W two job. My dad hooked me up with that. Like, uh, I think that not every kid has the option to do that. I just I had a job at 14 only because the uh, manager was a dope and wasn't paying attention to local laws. I worked <laughs> there for eight months, and then two months before my 15th birthday was fired, so they could rehire me when it was legal to hire me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I just I remember having a job when I was in junior high. What did you do? Call center. Okay. Yeah, I mean it was it was so like it it was a job with you know a paycheck. It wasn't cash. Yeah. And so this talk of like kids, young adults aren't allowed to have jobs. I I I guess I just need to Google what were the laws in Colorado 15, 20 years ago because I remember being able to do this. There's a lot of logistics involved. Like uh, there were jobs I couldn't get just because I didn't have a car and my parents didn't like want to drive me to some of the jobs that I got. There was a job I had to quit because my dad like drove me to it a few times and then was just like, yeah, this is inconvenient for me. You'll have to find something else. Could you have gone to your call center job or any other job um, that you were qualified for instead of going to school? No. Oh, I, well, I think I still had to go I to school. I think that's a problem. Well, you can't really hold down a full-time job if you have to be in school for seven hours a I day. I didn't want to. I feel like dropping out of junior high school probably would have ruined my future. I mean, yeah, probably would have been a bad idea. I would have had a great, great prospects in the call center industry, but that's <laughs> right. not what I wanted to do. Yeah, it would, so, it would have been a bad idea for you, especially in this economy. I feel like compulsory education isn't like the necessary evil that people painted out to be. Yes, school often sucks, but it doesn't have to suck. School traumatized me. I think I would have done a lot better if I'd gotten out of it earlier and just totally skipped the whole college thing. All the jobs I ended up getting after, I was self-taught in anyway. I think a lot of people after going, working at the call center for a couple of years would want to go back to school. I mean, I don't (laughs) want to use you as an example, but like you had a whole bunch of shit jobs that you hated, like the bank teller and the PI stuff and everything. And eventually you were like, fuck this shit. And you went and got trained as a software engineer. And now you have a fucking amazing job. Yeah. But that was a choice. That wasn't yeah, like exactly. compulsory. Oh, okay. What if kids that had that choice yeah. to, to work shit jobs for a while and then be like, fuck this. I want to get a better job and go get trained in something. I, I was, um, I found school to be so incredibly damaging to myself that by my senior year, I was skipping three, four days a week, showing up to take tests only. Um, and that was because I had, logically like proposed to my parents like hey emancipate me i'm gonna get my ged and travel for a while because school is dumb and pointless and torture and they said no we'll call the police you're not allowed to do any of that and i was like at a similar experience two more years two more years i'm gonna either like end up setting the place on fire or stabbing somebody in self-defense. That's actually, someone stealing two years of your life yeah. at the prime of your life. That's that was, not like two years at the shit tail end when you're sickly and can't do much. That, that happened to me when I was 16 specifically. I remember that I just mentally checked out because uh, like school itself wasn't that bad. It was just the social s- stuff that was... I had really bad social anxiety and being forced to be around people that basically wanted to bully or marginalize me. Uh, and being forced into social situations that like gave me panic attacks. I remember that I was just like, I'm going to try to just maintain a C average and get through it. But I was, I was checked out. I was dissociated for, I, there's like big chunks of my memory of parts of high school and almost all of college that I'm just missing. Mm. It's creepy. I yeah. forgot most of my childhood, but I feel like it was pretty good. So I don't know what to make of that. But, yeah. I think there's, 
a difference uh in and, well maybe there's not i don't know like that this was straight up like depressed depressive dissociation sure uh i'm not sure if that describes what your childhood thing no was. my my childhood was basically fine that describes my first couple years of, or my last couple years of college but um <laughs> it's yeah no i, I mean the, the point I, I see what you guys are saying i guess it's just uh i think i had one more thing to say about was it jobs or was it mm, well, when I did not drop out of school, uh, even when I had a roommate and rent and had to work to pay rent, um, thankfully I had a vehicle and it was a small place. So, you know, gas prices weren't that high and I was able to commute and get things done. What age was this? Uh, 15. And uh, did you legally have a vehicle? Yeah. Was it like yeah, a I, I grew scooter up in a rural or something? area so you could get your driver's oh, okay. license at 14 and I'd been driving since I was a kid. So. Cool. I remember what I was going to say about the property thing about, you know, cause you know, I, and that's the thing too. Like I mowed lawns and shit when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I bought video games and whatever. Did um, your parents take them away if you did something bad? Not really. No. Cause oh, okay. I didn't really do that much bad stuff, but and they're pretty they chill. Like, I mean, cause they're parents- physically bigger than me. Sure. Yeah. But like, but I, I guess I'm drawing contention with that because let's, let's say they bought my PlayStation as they probably did in this YouTube video. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you've got a shitty roommate and they're not paying rent, they're, leaving heroin needles all over the carpet and you keep stepping on them and it's really annoying mm-hmm. you don't think you might like say all right you know what fuck it i'm taking my tv in my bedroom it's no longer in the living room get yeah. your own fucking tv yeah sure but that so i mean but that, it's your that, tv well it's kind of your tv if you're the parent and you bought it for them right like but destroying it, it in front of them i'm not defending i'm not defending yeah. that and then putting I, it on I, 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 I vehemently said that's <laughs> oh, okay, obviously okay. insane and stupid okay. and on every dimension including destroying your own property. So I got, but I got, I mean, two things to say about that. I, I bought most of my own um, video game stuff. The big difference is the computer. My parents bought the computer for me because they thought I was important for school, which it was. But um, I, most of the things that I used for entertainment, I had bought myself and my parents still could and did take them away as punishments. And e- even more to the point, it's like, it's hard to have the ability to own any property when, first of all, you have very little ability to make money. And second, even if you do have your own property, it's not legally yours. Your parents are allowed to take away things that you have bought even with your own money because they're your parents. Yeah, I, I like I you couldn't take away your roommate stuff to like be clean up the heroin needles or I'm taking away your PlayStation until you do. I think the other thing is that your roommate, like you don't have any obligation to them if you like give birth to a child you sort of like i sort of think that like there should be a different standard in your relationship there i totally agree no no i i brought up the roommate example because if there's shared property and it's yours and you paid for it like uh in this example if your parent got you a tv or something and you're behaving in a way that is bringing down their quality quality of life for whatever reason and they're like look i'm taking away the tv till you get this get your shit together i feel like that's exactly how you treat an adult it's still if, yeah. if, under the same circumstances. If you move the goalposts and say, well, no, it's, you know, it's not their TV or they, they couldn't buy it because they aren't allowed to work or something. Leaving all that aside, it like this is this is how I would treat an adult. If I I, I mean, if, if my roommate and I shared a car and they wouldn't stop drinking and driving, I'm like, all right, you're not sure sh- you're not using my car anymore. Yeah, totally. Like, but th- then I'm taking away their stuff and I'm doing exactly what I'd be doing to a kid, but I'm treating them like a like an adult. I I disagree that you're taking away their stuff that is your stuff and there's well, so, a, there's an agreement between you and the roommate as to why um you're both allowed to use it so well, the i'm taking away i'm they're they're pr- privileged to use my stuff right which is kind of what you're doing with a child with their playstation 
I'm not saying you smash it with a hammer. Right. I'm saying that it might make sense to like, all right, look, you're ruining my life. What if, okay, what, what if you bought the roommate the TV as a gift and then you took it back? So that, 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 it, that does add the wrinkle. And that's more like what it's like to buy stuff for your kids, right? Yeah. I guess what I'm just saying is that like, it doesn't strike me as necessarily like abusive or insane behavior to discipline your kid that way. That said, I was like never disciplined that way. I think honestly, my parents were just, I mean, I like to joke that my brother and I were each half of an accident because we were identical twins and you don't get to plan on that. I don't think they planned on three kids. I think they planned on two and three wore them out. And so they let me have a small TV in my room because I would quietly sit in there and watch it. I mean, like, and, I, and if they tried to take it away, I would be annoying. And they're like, you know what? I would rather sleep and have him not be disciplined than, uh, you know, let him just watch TV instead. This, right. This is kind of a segue, but I just think that once you give some, someone something, it's theirs. And abusive and insane is like, it's a tricky word because like in this system where parents are held liable for what their adult children do, it's not that insane to be like, I I don't want to go to jail for something you're doing. So I'm putting these limits on you. And especially when society tells them they should, it's just in the broader picture, if society wasn't like this, you wouldn't structure it like this. You would say that is an insane thing to do. Don't do that. And it's kind of stuck that way right now. I'd like to not be stuck there. So what I'm hearing is that we need to nudge down the parents' um, culpability and nudge up the the, um, the young adults' maybe. yes responsibility. Rights and freedoms at, always come with like, responsibilities at the same time. Yeah, that's what makes you more of an adult: having more responsibility and learning how to yeah. use that. Yeah, I wish how that there were more gradients there to sort of like not just the oh you're 18 now everything flips. Yeah, actually, maybe like, a series of tests that measure you on various things. Maybe um, I, something that I sort of also object to. We should probably start to get to the main topic, mm-hmm. but uh, just the whole idea of if your kid's acting out, that you should punish them, and this like like default to sort of this uh, authoritarian punitive response instead of sitting the kid down and sort of like like hey why do, why are you doing this right like and then trying to maybe negotiate like. All right. Well, because you have, I've told you not to do this, and you have like broken your word. So I'm going to limit your TV access. If you do it again, I'm going to limit it further. But if you, you know, show me that you can take a week and not do this thing, then you'll you can get your TV privilege back. Like, I'd rather there be more. You know, that seems what what Harry James Potter Evans Varus would say is that no parent would ever reduce themselves to the level of negotiating with someone they view as a child. Which I it's, think yeah, what is bugs true me in this the world thing. and is bad. Like that's sort of when Steven was talking about the roommate, I've had like shitty roommate situations or even just like, where maybe even the roommate wasn't necessarily a bad person. I've had roommates that just like, um, one of my roommates was like being abused by a parent and I gave them a space to live and they just had never learned how to be an adult. So like they were eating food that was, uh, that belonged to other people or like, you know, taking like all the Advil or just like grabbing all the toilet paper after I went grocery. And I like, I had to sort of teach this person like, hmm. okay, if you're going to like, you know, be an adult, you've got to like, but it was, I, I was like, I understand where you're coming from and you're a friend of mine. So it was like this gradual, like, okay, like you, I would like you to get a job and start paying rent after mm-hmm. this amount of time. I would like you to like pay for your own stuff. But like, there's like within reason, I can also help you out. <laughs> while you're learning this stuff and also recovering from just the trauma of that situation. Uh, yeah. And yeah, their parents, they're, they're lucky to have you. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So before we get to the main topic, did you have more feedback? Yeah. Um, I just uh, wanted to say that uh, I was specifically talking about consensual and healthy relationships. Yeah. <laughs> which also have problems and tend to end at some point. And, and when I say relationships, that does not mean sex. Uh, it can. But it does but not it, mean sex. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But they're not abusive. And it, it's really important to differentiate between a healthy relationship and an abusive relationship, when, especially when you're talking about basing civil rights off of those yeah. circumstances. I know a and I know a lot of people who would say that it is impossible for a 30-year-old to have a non-abusive relationship with a 15-year-old. I totally disagree I, with yeah, that. I think like, it's bullshit, but that is a line of thinking in our society that is pushed strongly by a lot of people. When I had the thing with the college professor, though, I was... That's 20 like or 21 was. and they were like 36 or 37 mm. it could have been fine it just it, that was a coercive relationship and you were 21 and in an abusive relationship yeah like, like I, you had made it past the magic age i yeah but like just the power differential between you know teacher student relationship and then like also the fact that he made more money and like had a house and i didn't and, and he had one and a half more decades of manipulating people than you did yeah so well. like that that gives him more just skill with which to fuck you over Whereas, it, whereas if you were met, whereas you were with your peers, you have about equal experience fucking each other over and being fucked over by them, right? Why? Why are we hanging around with people that have experience fucking people over anyway? Like, I wouldn't want to have peers that have a lot of experience fucking people over because I just don't like people that fuck other people over. We're talking about uh, bad relationships. Oh well, okay. Yeah. Don't, don't, so in that context, sure, you you won't be as ill-equipped to to combat your peers in a bad relationship than you would be somebody who's got a decade and a half seniority. In, in this case, also, in like I was sort of groomed, sort of the same way, you know, like a child predator would groom a kid online or whatever. But like, this was after my best friends died and I didn't have any friends in college. So this person mm. slowly befriended me and took a long time building up the relationship vulnerable. before it started becoming abusive and coercive. Yeah. Classic. At, at which point, like you're kind of already invested. And then it was also like, well, this is kind of sucks, but also I don't really have anybody else to hang out with. So like mm. if he wants me to suck his dick occasionally, maybe that's just, Something that I'll just put up with. And that is something that can happen to any vulnerable person at any age. Yeah, right. I could have been older than him, to too. taken advantage of by someone who's manipulating you. Yeah. So at some point, we all deal with that. Um, and sometimes the person is your age, and sometimes they're not. But it's uh, never an equal playing field when one of you is at an emotional disadvantage. Yeah, there's different kinds of power differentials that aren't just age or you know, there's there's status, there's a vulnerable someone vulnerable being your boss or whatever moments in your life. Mm. We all go through that. I mean, who hasn't looked back at like a friendship, job, or situation, a relationship? We have another human being going, oh, I wasn't in a good place, yeah. or that never would have flown. In I retrospect, that was a terrible that. decision. Yeah. <laughs> so I think overall, that was a really, uh, I think you guys have done a great job. Um, discussing difficult topics and i want to encourage you all to co continue and thank I, you i hope i can contribute next time i want huh? i am glad also that you're doing a good job at pointing out like where we could improve because that is important to me too um i don't want to like get butthurt about you know or i don't want you to like feel like we're gonna get butthurt about you like criticizing stuff like us not defining terms because actually that's important feedback I really like just jamming with Steven and Ineash. I know some people have said that they actually like just enjoy hearing that and they don't care as much about like us staying on topic because it just feels like hanging out with friends. But then there's other people that like 
<laughs> Phoenix, for example, doesn't listen to very many of these episodes because it's just like too off topic and yeah. that bugs them. I came up with the term digressathon. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad word for it. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, every, like, I can't say it better than Jay said it. Um, I was going to make last remarks on the last thing, but I already spent enough time talking about last episode. I don't want to go back to another episode. So, um, but no, that was good. Uh, it's fun to talk about and it's engaging and more important to revisit and get things articulate. So, yeah. And as a final point, I think this kind of live listener feedback thing is kind of fun. So if anyone does have something to say about an episode, uh, that we have recently put out and would like to come on the show for live listener feedback, I think we could accommodate them. Yeah. I mean, usually we record at the same time every other week. So more like them accommodating us. Right. Right. But, yeah. If, if uh, you're willing to come on, you know, around the early afternoon on a Sunday, and uh, we can get you in on Zencaster and maybe have a little 10, 15 minute live feedback thing. Alternately, if that doesn't work for you too, you can always um, send in like an audio question. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Uh, I actually like the format um, in other podcasts that I listen to where people sort of just call in, like, I guess, uh, almost like an advice show, sort yeah, of yeah. like, hey, I have a question about such and such. And um we could also sort of cut up the audio clip if there's multiple things and then it sounds better than us just sort of reading a text comment and replying to it. Although that's also a thing. It's just, we get a lot more of those and um, it's harder to sort of like skim through all of those. Yeah. Talk to us more and more stuff. Well, thank you for joining us, Charlie and kicking off the first live listener feedback. Yay. Yay. Bye. Bye. I have one last thing actually. um, Cause David Spearman added me on discord and was like, what are you talking about that? Uh, young people can make an impact in the world or something. That was your first point. We, we hammered on that for a minute where mm-hmm. it's like uh, young adults can't make an impact or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I pushed back on that because I didn't know what you meant by can't or impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it might've been just a, a game of taboo that we should have played earlier. But uh, I think the common understanding of that was not what I was using. It's there was some miscommunication. Like, I don't think you're ever until you're once, once you're able to mentally model other people. So three or four, uh, but at some point, and well, and then once you're old enough to care, which might take you until you're 40 or may, maybe take you till you're 10, who knows, you're able to make your corner of the world a little brighter place. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by make have, have an impact. Okay. And like, sure, you can have more if you have more money, maybe, but not if you're not helping people primarily through money. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can be a supportive friend without having to give them $10,000, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I guess that, that's the kind of thing I was talking about. What I meant by make an impact is do something that is important to people that you care about. That's Ooh. kind of what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it takes a uh, driver's license or, or a, you know, a bank account to do that. Those might help. But it does take being respected. Like, if your efforts are ignored, sidelined, uh, what do I want to say? Demo- <sighs> Brain vocabulary glitch. I see what you're saying. Access file. I think I see what you're saying, though. That's that's a good good point. That, that, that helps me understand that because, you know, it might be important to you at eight years old, like you want to help contribute to your parents you know maybe help with dinner or whatever right mm-hmm. but they're like oh no you go over here and pretend to chop onions and we'll we'll do it without you is that kind of like the, a scaled down version of what you're talking about yeah um so i think everyone can relate to this because it, it'll happen to you at some point in your life you want to contribute you're, you're in a, you're with a group that you that you want to belong with you know you want to be a part of and fit in and you want to contribute but you're not as good at what everyone's doing as so they, they just are because you value your input. They literally take it out of your hands and push you aside. And mm-hmm. so you're robbed of 
the opportunity to contribute or they give you busy work, like something that basically doesn't matter, but basically it's about not being, not being respected. Being an adult is a lot like that too. Being a legal yes, adult that's in the United I States. Said, we can all, yeah. we've yeah. all had this done to us. Well, so I think we can relate, but when you're, when you're, when you're in an ageist world, uh, this will apply to, uh, anyone at any age, you're going to experience being pushed aside because you don't belong to that group because you're not the right age. Mm -hmm. And it's always dehumanizing and hurtful. And I think it's complete bullshit. The age segregation thing bugs me, honestly, like uh, I bring a lot of library examples up, but like there were some really smart little kids. And uh, I remember just watching a few times there would be like, a kid teaching an older person how to use email. And then like at one point somebody got scared about adult predators. And so they, they're like, Oh, we have to have the kids section of the library and keep the kids in the kids section. And the adults aren't allowed to go in there unless they like have a child or, are, mm. you know, able to prove that they're looking for a book for the, uh, I don't know, whatever the heck. And the kids aren't allowed to come out. Yeah. Well, that was the, they were, they were confined to the kids section. Yeah. Like, unless they had an adult like supervising them or like they were doing some kind of club where, yeah, again, they would have an adult supervising them or they would be in their own little like meeting room. Had to keep them all separate. Part of that sounds like really well-intentioned, but misguided coddling. Yeah. And wouldn't we know it? Yeah. The name of the essay that we were going to be talking about slash book, but I didn't read the book because this is one of those examples where the essay, thanks again, Charlie, you rock. Um, there's another example where the essay is the book, but just more succinct. Um, so the the subject was uh, The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Luke, or excuse me, Greg Lukianov. Um, I'll put a link to the 2015 article in The Atlantic on in the show notes. and uh, Or you can buy the 2018 book, but I haven't read it, but I'm convinced it just makes this point, but longer. Uh, Some books so are like that. I yeah. In my limited experience of reading, like, compelling essays and then subsequent books that's always been the case so i i'm always reluctant and you know if you want a bit better expansion of it or something maybe that helps like i liked the scout mindset even though i knew the point of it before i started reading it and i didn't like learn much except for maybe some extra lingo it was just more examples more fleshed out but i I didn't learn a thing from animal animal liberation that i didn't learn in the 1975 essay all animals are equal Unless I wanted to learn a lot about 1970s factory farming, which I didn't. So, But books also often have a lot of citations and references, which is very handy if you want to, you know, if you're talking to someone who's like, well, I don't believe this. And you're like, okay, here's the where the numbers came from. Yeah. I've definitely seen examples of both books that could have been like essays and probably should have been, but just like a book is a marketable format. Mm. Um but some, some, some also, books are the, are the are the real life definition of like this could have been an, you know this meeting could have been an email <laughs> yeah like it's clearly like there's there's info in there but then they've like padded it out with enough filler to make it book sized yeah. so they could then sell it as a book but then i've seen um books that will take a topic and really tackle it from a bunch of different angles so you form a much more comprehensive model of the whole thing and that's also really valuable that's a good point. And I take back what I said about all the time of my reading that with of my reading with books, because I haven't read The Calling of the American Mind, the book. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's way better than the essay. And it's three years newer, which means lots of new data on the subject, because a lot of the stuff was like newer in 2015 than it is. Yeah, and a uh, lot of stuff was changing in that time period, yeah. too. Like you were talking about, uh, what was it? Truancy? Uh, not tr- no, the, tr- Truancy was older than that, but just like the... like Kids at the Park thing? the greater incidence of 
parents being scared to just let their kids play outside unsupervised. Yeah, totally. Even though like the world has actually been getting a lot safer. (laughs) Absolutely. And last thing, just before we dive in, another good example of a book that definitely deserves to be a book and not an essay was um, The Elephant in the Brain. Hmm. Like I knew signaling. Hmm. I knew what that was. But having 15 or 20 chapters of specific examples was awesome. That book was epic. So plug for that again. Um, Anyway, it's worth pointing out that uh, Lukianov and Haidt um, are, I'll probably just say Haidt for shorthand for later, because most of my context on this is uh, like reading specifically what Jonathan Haidt had to say about it and listening to him on podcasts. So I haven't heard anything straight out of Greg Lukianov's mouth. So, um, but mainly, mainly they're talking about college campuses. Uh, They talk a bit about earlier stuff, which is why I tied into like our stuff about children and teens and tweens and young adults and all that. Because I think that plays into a lot of the same stuff. Some of the, the mismanagement of children and young adults has been carried through into college in some places. And their main point is that that really fucks them up and uh, fucks us up while, the, you know, it, it fucks society because they're fucked up. Right. Okay. Um, so they don't, they don't adults, use the word fuck that much, but that's, that's basically the point. So treating adults like children has bad consequences. Well, of the fucked variety. Yes. Okay. But then it's not clear because now you've got adults, you know, in their twenties mm-hmm. who um, behave like, uh, who, who think this is all virtuous and awesome mm-hmm. and it's not clear. I, I, th- you, I think, I think, I think you're going to jump like make... into examples or tell us like what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say, I just, I don't think you can make the case that, uh, what, how did you put it? Um, that treating kids like treating adults, like kids messes them up. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I don't think it, it can be parsed that neatly because now you have adults treating adults like, like what they think adults should be treated the like. The essay like, title, The Coddling of the American Mind, so we could just say Americans or minds, honestly. Sure, yeah. This is sort of being imposed upon society. It's They they targeted college campuses, but like you do see it in other realms as well. Yeah, we can start with the college stuff because that's where the essay starts. Um, so they're, they basically talk about, and I'll, I'll, I'll get this at the top because it's a lot of the beats fall back on these three great untruths as they as they call them which are like these are things that are are perpetuated as either virtuous or just the way you should think which fly in the face of all of modern and ancient wisdom and modern psychology um so those three things are what doesn't kill you makes you weaker always trust your feelings and life is a battle between good and evil or good people and evil people rather I like that you brought up that this is sort of the exact opposite of what cbt teaches because i'm already sort of like gearing up to be like angry about it <laughs> yay oh yeah i think i said this before we started recording that i was going to lean on jace for their um or excuse me for his uh expertise on on cb cognitive behavioral therapy cbt for syllable saving um because uh lukianov had uh i think severe depression and maybe ptsd hmm. as an adult and um or maybe as a youth as well but the point is that like as as he's observing these things on on campuses he's like they're doing they're 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 putting on a pedestal exactly what my therapists have been teaching me not to do. And there's no way this is good for them. And the more you look, turns out it's not. Um, PTSD is actually way more common than I think most people know. Um, There's people that just have like, that they actually have the acronym um, HSPs, highly sensitive people, which is funny, but that's actually just a psychological phenomenon where some people are more resilient and some people are more easily traumatized. I wonder how much of that is culturally imbued 
Um, some probably is. It's probably like a lot of things, part like na- nurture, part nature. But um, there's definitely a biological component. I think if you get a lot of rewards for being highly sensitive, it pushes you towards that direction. Yeah, and I mean that could that could be in the form of of uh, peer recognition or validation or even just like time off of school right i mean right? it's just basic incentives right yeah if you get rewarded for something you get more of that thing but it could also just well be the case that like yeah look i got i drew the short stick turns out things fuck me a lot harder than they fuck you right and yeah. that that's also just gonna be part of reality mm-hmm. the i remember like learning about this and you know it was like a long debate in the history of of psychology and social science of like is x trait or is everything like nurture or nature mm-hmm. and like the obvious answer has always been both right yeah. right um like it doesn't matter how well how what what great genes you have if if i mess you up enough as a kid you're gonna be a messed up adult right mm-hmm. um especially if i work sufficiently hard to the, to the task doesn't matter right mm-hmm. um alternately you could be somebody with highly sensitive person disorder i don't think it's a disorder personality type and have great parents and a great sport system and grow up to be way healthier than like a lot of your peers yeah um let's see uh like I said, so they because they're both professors, like most of their examples start from that. Um, and then they move back to, all right, where did this come from and why did it start in the 90s, et cetera. But the article starts off mainly focusing on examples of higher education institutions, mostly expensive, expensive liberal schools. Um, this isn't a thing in uh, like conservative dominated areas, as it turns out, at least not as much. Mm-hmm. But isn't it the case that most institutions of higher learning tend to skew really liberal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, in, I mean, in liberal areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that then this is a I think a trend, not like a golden rule. So if you find an example from a university in Georgia, you know I don't think that invalidates where they're coming from, but it does turn out to just be a more common uh, university phenomena among like liberal populations. So am I wrong about this, or the, my stereotype is that generally people who are more conservative come from a more rural and or working class background? Is that is that fair? That's probably a f- like not unfair sweeping generalization. Because it also seems to me that people who are more of the rural and or working class background, their children are more likely to be put to some productive ends earlier in their life and treated more like people that can contribute. And this can help you like get an insight into the conservative mindset where you're like, why do they think that, you know, handouts are such such a bad thing? It's like, well, because since they were kids, they've been working for things and getting rewarded, you know, getting um compensation for it right yeah so like they've been like i've been doing this since i was 10 why can't you do it when you're 35 mm-hmm. um so like it's it doesn't make one person like it, it might be factually right or wrong but it's not obviously right or wrong right right um anyway so like some of the ex- insane examples they they point out just to kind of kick off like the the university stuff and keep in mind this was six years ago like things have gotten weirder since then um apparently uh genie souk wrote an article in an online or wrote in an online article for the New Yorker about law students asking her fellow professors at Harvard not to teach rape law, or in one case, even use the word violate, as in that violates the law, lest it cause student distress. Oh, so just censoring the word rape? And violate. <laughs> well, censor the word violate, but then like stop teaching rape law entirely? Apparently, in in Harvard. That's going to make it harder to be a <laughs> criminal lawyer. Imagine, and so that, that that's where the weird part of this is coming up. And so in 2015, this was kind of like a, an emerging thing. It wasn't like brand new, but now we're six years out of that. A lot of people have graduated Harvard, Harvard Law, and they're so traumatized by the word rape that 
they can't represent you in a case like that. I mean, how weird would that be, right? I don't like think... you, you go to your lawyer and they're like, I'm sorry, can you not use the R word? Uh, I, I don't think that's that's actually a thing that happens for with real lawyers, though, right? Like, this is just something that they were doing in school to exercise power over their professors. This is something they proposed. Did it actually? Did they actually um, stop teaching? rape law I, did, I didn't follow up with it i doubt it i feel like that's an important yeah. part of criminal law um <laughs> like, but but i and while it's probably not true in lawyer in lawyering it is true in other avenues of life um some of the things some of the the weird virtues that are coming out of this uh have perpetuated into the adult workforce where or the the graduate college graduate workforce where 20 somethings are employed next to you know or are, are are gainfully employed in in the world right i so I agree with you that this is something that absolutely happens. I don't know if hate makes this point or if this is just commonly thought to be the height. height? Yeah, Sorry. If, if he claims this or if this is just a thing that's commonly thought, but it, it seems to be implied that these people are actually um, harmed by these things. And, and thus uh, that is why they're, you know, I don't want to say screaming. That is why they are strongly requesting these, um, these protections, but it has been my, impression that uh these are ways to exercise power that uh these are things that people have found they can use to uh exercise power over their professors or to get uh, more senior people in their organization kicked out and leave, open up space for them to move up like i don't know if maybe secretly on the inside they really do feel hurt by this but in all practical purposes it looks much more like a way to um to exercise power over others or to eliminate opposition with these weapons that you have at your disposal because society does accept like, Oh no, he, he was so triggered by that word that now we have to make special exceptions. Yeah. I, I don't know how to dive into that. Cause I don't like, I mean, it's not always trying my hand at mind reading, trying to understand these things, mm-hmm. but it is often like, I don't know the motives, you know, like if somebody, um, you know, like there, there was that that famous video that went around a few years ago of all those students screaming at the dean at Yale because yeah. Halloween costumes, yeah. and like were they really so hurt and and affronted that they were acting like a 1960s civil rights protest? It really, just strikes me as signaling. Um, yeah, I think is what Annie Ash is getting at. But like, but I, I doubt that there's like individual professors sort of sitting in their offices like petting their cat and <laughs> like evilly cackling as like I will you know, take over the, I don't know, like what push out all the like conservative professors. So liberal professors could take over the whole, but like that's become sort of the effect. And I think that it's sort of the way signaling works, you know, because it's like, Oh, well, I, I think my tribe is the more moral one and that we're correct. So we should fight these fights, but are like, it, it gets to the point where it's like, do you actually care about these issues? Like, is this your real uh, objection or, yeah, no, are you no just one. tricking yourself into like making yourself feel good about just doing signaling games? Well, it's not just about kicking out conservative professorship either. Like there was a um, at the same at the top of the article was uh, someone who wrote under a pseudonym, um, and their the title was "I'm a liberal professor and my liberal students terrify me." Uh, you know, Height talks about how in every bathroom at um, shoot, where does he teach? I don't see it in the article. Uh, it doesn't say where they were teaching. Like, I don't think any of the students that were yelling at the dean felt hurt by those um, costumes necessarily. Maybe like a little bit I of think offense. they were offended that other people might get offended. I mean, I think more than anything, like the dean is super liberal too. It's not like they were trying to chase out a conservative faculty member, but it felt good to be part of a self-righteous mob that can hurt 
this person in a position of power. And so that's, they jumped on that. That's the whole point of being a mob, right? It feels good to be on the righteous side and beat up the evil people. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a tool that they could do. You could use to beat someone up. I've like talked about this on a bunch of other episodes, but I was really concerned about how witch hunts became really popular mm-hmm. and continue to be really popular on like websites like Tumblr I guess just like a lot of social media, but for some reason, Tumblr in particular became really polarized with uh, like the start of the anti-movement, which ostensibly is anti-pedophilia, but actually it is just a way of, you know, yeah, inciting a mob and witch hunting. For example, like if somebody drew a aged up Steven Universe and uh, Connie from the show Steven Universe, like mm-hmm. m- maybe not even like doing anything sexual, but like I'm trying to think of better examples here, or, or in a case where they drew where they drew fan art and the kid wasn't drawn fat enough and they bullied the kid into suicide, uh, yeah. you know either that, either into a suicidal a depression or literal death it's funny that that actually i've seen that go both ways too where like there's um artists that will draw characters uh of in, in different body types or of different races because they're just i guess experimenting with diversity or ex- like sometimes you know uh, the best example i've can think of is when there's like sprite characters in video games so you don't actually know what their canon appearance is so sometimes people will like oh what if it was like a black trans woman and then like people will attack that person for no that's not canon but then there's the other case of like yeah you steven's canonically fat and you drew him like thin so that's fat phobia it's like a real bad situation for artists if you're trying to draw anything because somebody's going to take some kind of offense to it. And it seems like it's literally just people who feel disenfranchised want to gang up and attack people because it makes them feel powerful. It's a form of bullying. It's it's absolutely a kind of bullying. And I think, you know, it's in in the case of, you know, watching or, you know, going to someone's website, their Tumblr, and seeing a Steven Universe art that you don't like, and then you act like you've been attacked or assaulted or had violence done against you, whatever insane words they want to attribute to this. I'll try to be more charitable and not just call it insane, but they do. They, there is a lot of misuse of the words like violence and aggression and um, attacked. Well, I mean, I've seen artists get death threats, right? Or even like some people will get like swatted or uh, or doxxed. Oh, the artists are getting literally attacked and and having violence done to them. I meant the the person who goes to Steven Universe fanarttumblr.com and they see an art that they don't like. The person who visits that site says, "I've been attacked because this is fat phobic," <laughs> and it's like, "No, I just." didn't draw it the way you thought I would draw it. How about you go fuck yourself or draw your own, which is how people usually would handle a disagreement like that. Right. Maybe more politely. Um, you know, if you go to a club and they're playing music, you don't like, you don't get to demand that you change the music because I don't like this, the genre, or I don't like this artist. Right. Yeah. That, that's sort of how I view online spaces, which isn't really talked about in the article. Um, at least not much like the extra level of anonymity makes it extra insidious because or, and also the connectedness, because you could go see that art and not like it, and then go cross-post it somewhere that has like thousands of followers and say, look at what this asshole did, let's attack them. And then suddenly that artist is getting like mobbed with death threats. I've seen, like, I'm, I'm pissed off. Some of my favorite artists have been, just been chased off of social media entirely. Some of them have quit art or quit posting it, and that makes me really mad. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite artists actually was a professional artist um, and also had like a fan art blog and they were so harassed by people. And this was somebody who did have uh, mental health issues and some PTSD. And they were just like, 
all right, you know, it's been a few years where I've tried to fight for like against this insanity. Uh, I'm quitting art and I'm going to go like learn to be a welder. And they went to welding school and they got like a good paying job in welding. And they're like, you know what? Like nobody gives me shit about like that, that I've welded this thing wrong unless it's like, you know, structurally unsound. Like, unless it's actually this is, wrong. They're like, this is the most relaxed that I've felt like in years. I don't know why I put myself through trying to be an artist for that long. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fucking disappointing for me because I was like, I love this person's art and I'm mad that they're not creating like cool shit anymore. I guess they're creating cool welding shit, but it's mostly industrial. It's not art. It's like. Uh, yeah okay whatever not to disc craft skills just <laughs> no no you're good and it, that that's the thing is you know it's um i'm getting myself a little out of order on this but it's fine because this is a a sort of was a topic but um you know it i i have this weird well not weird i have this this knee-jerk not understanding and frank dismissal of anybody who comes into an online space and demands that they be accommodated yeah you know this isn't uh they, they act like any Tumblr they come across or any Discord server they're on needs to comply with their version of the Americans with Disabilities Act, where it's like, if I want to go to the bank and I'm in a wheelchair, you better let, let, find a way to let me in. That, I kind of, I'm on board with that, right? That was a good move of the United States. Um, but there's taking things too far where it's like, but, I'm offended by your art, so therefore I'm going to demand you like take it down or like write a public apology. I don't even know actually if there's a way that you can... Uh, save yourself in that case um, there's you know, not as like, it turns out there were like you know like movie directors that were if they find a off-color tweet out of context years before that they've since apologized for but like yeah i don't know your name's smeared now yeah <laughs> and even if you like write a public apology people are just gonna like be i don't know still mad about it and find other things to be upset about well i mean i'll, I'll, I'll touch on the apology thing in just a second i was just my, my analogy with the with the ada was like my my website doesn't need to comply with you know this 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 bad analogy of like your version of the ADA right if you don't like looking at pictures of corgis don't come to my website right you don't get to come to my website and be like i demand that you only show pictures of non purebred dogs cuz pure breeding is bad for dogs like no you start your own website and post pictures of non purebred dogs like this, so so this that is... that never made any sense to me and i've seen that happen on multiple occasions online it's the, and the, i barely get out online that's the thing yeah the thing that really <laughs> the the worst example of this is a lot of universities were putting up their lectures for free on youtube because I, I don't know you can just learn things for free you don't get the credential but whatever who cares it costs them nothing to take the video that they're recording anyway and put it on youtube for people too and then there were a bunch of uh ada requests that said if you don't close caption this we will sue you and they don't have the money to go and get everything, clo- you know, transcripted and co- closed captioned. They were just throwing it out there on YouTube as a free service. So they took it down instead. And now a lot of free educational material has been taken down because of these people getting all upset, I guess, that uh, that it wasn't closed captioned for the hearing impaired. If this, if, this was, if this was able to get you credentialed and like that sort of thing, and it was part of the institution's education curriculum, mm-hmm. you have to absolutely comply, right? Make it so everyone can learn because you've, you've, you've come to do that. If you come across a video online, and it's like, I'm sorry, this doesn't work for you. But also, this seems like it must be a few years old because YouTube auto yeah, does close captioning. Do yeah. yeah, they're they're not super accurate all the time, but like, yeah. But they're about as good as you can get for free right now. So, yeah, yeah, um, I definitely like, you know, think that there are reasonable requests and like contexts for them. Um, yeah, a great example is the like, hey, I'm deaf and I would like to, you know, like also access this material. 
and they and it's also reasonable of them to say sorry we don't have like that this is a free thing that we're offering but we we just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that and maybe here are some resources or whatever but like the one of the things that really gets me about this is how often the people that are inciting the mobs aren't even a mem like usually it would be someone who's not even a deaf person just saying there could be a deaf person mm. like or i see so much uh social justice that is actually like i find this offensive because this is often people who do not belong to that group speaking for that group for example like a bunch of white people saying that sounds racist and then like I've asked black friends before, like, is this offensive to you? And they would laugh and be like, well, no, that's like the shit that I would say to my friends all the time. Like, or, uh, no, you can't bring that up though. Cause then you have your token black friend, the, I guess, but like that you're using as a shield. This is a, this is a lose, lose, yeah. uh, engagement as it turns out. So what, what, what does this, why, why is this a, bring us back to the article. Um, so it, it's, it's trying to explain where some of these behaviors came from. And other ramifications that it has, among including like um, new norms at workplaces, uh, some beneficial, some probably not so beneficial, um, and increasing political polarization, um, which has gone way up in the last couple of decades as opposed to the previous decades. Um, there, there used to be a lot more cross aisle communication than there is now because now there's just this. Again, you build up uh, untruth three. It's a battle of good people versus evil people. And if they disagree with you, they're evil people, right? Um, or they or they offend you. But yeah, Jace's point of the and it's, it's just easy to get sidetracked. But I just I got to raise my hackles on that for a second. I've never understood getting offended on behalf of somebody else. I can I can understand that. Let me rephrase that because um, I can't understand that. I went to a movie once with half a dozen coworkers some years ago, and the one black person among us, they because we all had a backpack, so we're all coming from work. The person wanted to see inside his backpack mm -mm. and I stopped and I was like, why do you want to see in just inside his? We're all carrying backpacks. And she's like, oh, just safety thing. And if I had been more ballsy, I would have made a, I mean, what would I have done? Right? Like, so I, I could have at least said that's horseshit. You're being racist. Fuck you. And just kept, you know, gone to the movie. I think that, I think that might've been the nice silver lining. Mm -hmm. Just told her that was shitty of you and called it at that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, you know, the, the person who had to show their backpack didn't mind. I'm assuming this happens all the time because people suck. Yeah, um, I've actually often seen people that are like, can you just not make a big deal about it? Like, I actually hate when, um, I know that some people have different opinions about this, but if somebody misgenders me and then like somebody on my behalf is like, hey, like, Jace uses he, him pronouns and that was very, and I was just like, you know what, I actually like, can you, can you just not make a big deal about it? Um, especially if they like catch themselves and corrected themselves and then someone continues yelling at them but like even like i don't most of the time i'm like i actually like don't want you to like fight for my representation i'm trying to have a nice time right now and you're just like eh. people again people have different like you know sort of opinions about this i know people that would be really happy if someone spoke up for them but for me i'm just sort of like i don't know i'm not like actually that easily offended by stuff like that and it's often not the time or place to talk about that if the person does want to like want me to explain trans stuff i'd be happy to but i don't want to just like be talking about elephants or whatever and then so it suddenly turns into a social justice mm -hmm. argument on my behalf that i that i didn't even like want to bring up <laughs> yeah you know what you make me feel better about my very tepid reaction to this ticket taker at the movies because he was already ahead you know i think he was one or two people ahead of me getting into the you know oh, okay. th through the queue and you know he didn't i i talked with her at this volume you know the one you would when you're saying here's my ticket and i, I you know i kind of just asked her what was up with that 
I didn't make a big stink. I didn't drag him over and, you know, look at how you made him feel. I have no idea how she made him feel, right? Right. I'm assuming not great, but. But like that, that would have just maybe made him feel worse if he was just like, okay, whatever. Like, and he deals with this all the time. But like, if you drag him out there and then like, or like, look at like, that, that's like the whole idea of the coddling thing, right? It's the sort of like, you hurt my friend's feelings. It was very fragile and you should get like, you know, that's, that's embarrassing. That's def- that's definitely one <laughs> avenue of it. Yeah. I, I, I don't even, I didn't really put his feelings into account. When I, it was a 15 second exchange with this person. It was more just like, yeah. I mean, it could know, have been, me pointing I, out that I'm offended shitty. by you having done that because the, I think that was a shitty thing to do. Like, and then you're not making it about the other person. <laughs> I, I basically just said, why do you choose just him yeah. when we all have bags and kind of had to make her, Oh, Oh, I, I was just doing routine security. And I'm like, on the one person? And, you know, it was it was just those basically two lines. It was a few years ago. But yeah, I I didn't try to presume how he felt about it because it wasn't about necessarily his feelings on the subject. Just more about like, hey, you're, I hope you're not doing this to every fucking black person who comes in here. That's kind of shitty of you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's a bit aside. I mean, the the I guess I wasn't even offended on his behalf. I was, I was offended on behalf of decent society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what every person who, you know, if they're not fat and they see a fat Steven Universe or thin Steven Universe picture they're offended on behalf of decent society as well. Yeah. It could be like one of those people who is just incredibly empathetic and is able to put themselves in the shoes of somebody who might see this and get hurt. Like, you know, not all of these people are just doing this to sort of cyber bully people. Definitely. Some people are definitely doing it for that reason, but I don't even know if they are aware that they're doing it for that reason. I think that they genuinely, like nobody believes that they're the bad guy. They probably have convinced themselves that they're like, a social justice warrior. When I first heard that term, I thought it sounded awesome before like yeah. people started doing this stuff. But like my, I used to be like, yeah, I, you know, I'm all about social justice. That sounds great. I, right. I would love to have a society that's more like equal and aware of diversity. I was proud and, of the term as well. Yeah. Until it started turning into this weird, like just sort of political signaling bullying thing. That's defeating the purpose sort of. I think there's definitely people who are good natured about it. And I, I want to talk about that, ex, you know, explicitly at some detail before we, you know, uh, at, you know, before uh, too long, because I don't want to say like this is all terrible and everyone who does it is the worst. But there is a, a a faction of it that is explicitly malicious. You know, there are parts of um, what do you call your political team when you're running for office? Uh, your your campaign. Your yeah, pla- your, your your campaign staff. Uh, okay. There there are campaign staffers whose job it is. And it's not every politician everywhere, but it goes at least as far as like South Africa, including and so you know, and parts of the United States. But it's not like just local to the U.S., where it's their job to comb through the opposition's social media presence thoroughly and as and far back as possible, bad, yeah. and try and find something to misconstrue, so that then you can drag that out in front of the crowd and say, "Look, in 2015, they they said this terrible thing about bathrooms and and who can use them or something." And so, like, there there is a part of it that is explicitly there to just try and rile people up so you can win <laughs> and it's not about caring about the, the subject whatsoever it's about caring about you wasn't that one of donald trump's strengths though that he said like yeah i don't care what you say about me bring it on i i, I give no fucks about what you're gonna find in my in my backstory and my social media i, I think oh uh, you know what i'll say something that, even worse bring it yeah that people you know i can kind of see why people admired that about him mm-hmm. uh i sort of wish that 
Because, like, I, I think the, you know, accepted correct response up till that point had been to, oh, well, you know, I, I want to deeply apologize for that thing that I said that I already apologized for. But I just want to, like, remind everybody that this no longer represents my views and I am going to grovel before you. So, I you know, I'm not going to lose you as my, my voting crew. Or if somebody accused a a real human politician of, like, sexual misconduct, they would say – they would they would – find some polite way to engage with it, not say you're, you're way too ugly for that. Have been, that have been realistic. Right. Um, which is is another Trumpian response to a sexual assault allegation. I really Um, think that a lot of businesses and society in general would be better off taking the Trump approach to these sort of things. Like when Apple hired that one guy and he wrote some, I pretty from what, from the few clips pieces I saw some like pretty bad shit, like 10 years ago, uh, as part of like, I don't know, some kind of shock, um, reporting kind of like a howard stern sort of level stuff you know which yeah that's that's not great what he wrote it's, it's pretty bad actually but you know apple looked through it they hired him anyway he's got skills that they want and then like they launch a social media campaign at some point apple's just got to say I'm, I'm not letting the rest of the i'm not letting the the most offended people on twitter make my decisions for me and I think most uh, companies would be much better served doing that, as well as most humans in general. Are you talking about Antonio Garcia Martinez? I don't know. The guy who wrote something about Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah, he, that guy. He, what you said about him writing something that was actually fairly contemptible and uh, Howard Sterney, it was the exact opposite. I, it, was, it was extremely tepid. I know what they, you're they thinking They drew one of. sentence out of context, yeah, which is you, another tactic of this whole mindset. Because you're thinking about the Sam Harris podcast, right? Yeah. They literally stopped reading his quote right before he got to the bad stuff, which kind of made they me... They summarized the part that he said the bad stuff, didn't eh, they? No, no. They, it, that kind of made me like trust Sam Harris a little bit less because like... And he stopped right there and was like, and the rest of it was basically like this too. But like, if you actually read it, the rest of it is where it really got spicy. And oh. I, I really think that um, Sam Harris was being intellectually dishonest by stopping there and and not reading that and being like, but this does sound pretty shitty, dude. Well, it, then I walked away with the wrong impression. I will give Sam the benefit of the doubt there only because they were doing it with Antonio leading the conversation and reading as much of it as he was comfortable with doing. Yeah, but he should have pressed him on that. He should have pressed him, yeah. But, since- but I can see why he didn't say, well, hold on, let me finish reading this. And mm-hmm. like kind of like Let's read the next put, two put sentences, sir. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's interesting. I walked away with thinking that all he had said that, you know, um his wife was way more interesting than the average Silicon Valley girl because she was like actually cool or something. Yeah. Which <laughs> again, dismissive and rude, but like fairly lukewarm, right? Right. Um but if it was worse than that, then yeah, Paris did the world a disservice by being dis- by not being forthcoming about it. Yeah. Um Anyway, the 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 reason I wanted to talk about the calling of American mind because basically, you know, I said, "Hey, I'm busy this week. Who wants to think of a topic?" And I was thinking about the subject anyway, and it tied into the to the youth thing. And so, part of how we're fucking up kids is doing um, young adults. No kids. Okay. So, so how, part of how how we're fucking up people below the age of thirteen. This is yeah. Okay. Okay. So so th- this ties into um, the the kids stuff, not the young adult stuff, the children okay. thing. Okay. About so I apparently this started in the early 90s but it must have not have got to my neck of the woods till the you know 2000s because i did I have a free range childhood in like the early 2010s um coming to my attention the child which, which sorry which part um oh i thought you were saying just like sort of the the beginning of terms like microaggressions and trigger warnings and oh wokeness no i, I think i was thinking younger say, yeah something uh, below yeah yeah, so as as prepubescent stuff, but yeah, we will talk about the terms too if we get a 
chance because I didn't come very organized. I guess now you can tell, you know, I shouldn't organize this episode. Um, I think you're doing pretty good, actually. Well, yeah. The the, uh, um, the the youth aspect of it came from like the overprotectiveness in in a, in a word, I guess you can call it that. He calls it safetyism, which is kind of fun because mm-hmm. safety is a good thing. Mm-hmm. More safety sounds like a better thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out, as one might expect, too much of a good thing can lead to a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, so the middle way, like, always. Yeah. You know, the the idea of like wanting to know where your kids are so that you know if they haven't been home in X number of hours means versus that they might be hurt them. them. <laughs> right. Versus microchipping them. Or like um, actually just not letting them play outside out like, like, you know, uh, um, you were in the middle of a thought actually. Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. It was, but yeah, like, uh, well, if my kid's outside and I don't know where they are, um, this was again too some of the the satanic panic from the eighties mm. and uh, abductions being like headline news all the time in the nineties, even though they almost never happened. And if it did, it was almost always family. It, um, the, the world was actually getting safer, but like it was just the fact that first of all, you had you had news at all like of this stuff made people more aware that it happened. Because, like, you know, stuff's happening in New York City or, like, I don't know, Minnesota or whatever. But, like, maybe there's never been a child abduction in your neighborhood, but now you're aware that they happen. Right. But And then the, the other thing was that they started focus testing the news and figuring out that, like, outrage porn gets lots of views. I'm convinced that's what started this. Yeah. Was that, hey, if we make people scared and mad, they'll watch our show more. And Do then that turned into how they monetized the internet as well not just watch our show more uh 24 hour news was not a thing until the first gulf war which was what 91 i think yeah that is when cnn uh i mean they'd already been kind of trying to do stuff and sort of struggling before but then the gulf war happened and suddenly having a 24-hour news thing was really interesting because you could at any time click over to cnn and see what was going on in the war and that was the era where 24-hour news really took off and all the other stations started becoming big then too. And, I mean, that's fine while there is a war and there's action going, but, like... But there's always a you, war somewhere in the world and there's always a hurricane that's happened somewhere and some child's yeah. been abducted and some horrible, like, serial killer's on the loose and that's all the stuff that they were focusing on because it's the most sensational. Yeah, if that you was have... never, like, hey, this community got together to, like, save a beached whale. Isn't that cool? Well, not just that, but, like, when you have 30 minutes to an hour, usually the newscasts were 30 minutes long where they covered all the important stuff that happened in the day in about... I guess, 22 and a half minutes with commercial breaks. And then uh, once a week, there would be one or two one-hour news shows that like really dive deep into a subject, like an SSC blog post in TV format. But like once you have 24 fucking hours that you got to fill with news, and like you said, the outrage bad stuff is what really draws you to the eyeballs, you start looking for all the things you can find that might be newsworthy slash scary and throwing them up on the air for 24 hours a day. And yeah, yeah that, that fuck up people's psyche a bit. Well, and it, it turns out it just fucked up parents. Yeah. So like boomers were way more protective of their kids on average than their parents were of them. And honestly, their parents probably could have been safer with them and things would have been a little safer for them, right? For the I boomers do themselves. I remember my dad talking about he and his friends playing a game where they would throw a knife at each other to like, what was it? Like you'd stand with your legs apart and, and then you get like further and further apart and each person takes turns throwing a knife and trying to get it to land in the dirt between their feet. Man, I'm glad I was never quite that dumb. Like my brother and I had like a a weak ass plastic bow and arrow that we put a cork on the end of it and we would shoot each other and try and catch it. Oh shit. But between that and airsoft wars where at least we almost always wore sunglasses. Hmm. um, I don't think you could put out an eye even with airsoft. Maybe if it it was within a few feet. But it turns out if you get hit in the eyeball, it does burst blood vessels and really hurts the eye. My brother had a cool 
red circle on his eyeball for a you while. You get some like mm-hmm. kind of gnarly bruises from it too, but like, and it probably could have blinded him at just the right angle and close enough. I mean, those bu- those guns can break skin. If yeah, it can break yeah. your skin, it can break your eye. It's true. They're but still probably safer than just throwing knives at each other. Totally. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. Is I thought I thought we were dumb, but uh, so you know, there. This is this is where the well-intentioned part of it needs to be emphasized, right? Because if if we want to pass a law against kids throwing knives at each other, I think that's probably not a bad idea to do, right? Kids, not young adults, right? Right, right. right. Um, probably shouldn't let adults throw knives at each other either. But if you're two consenting adults in the privacy of your own home, <laughs> you know, maybe that's fine. But not not in the parking lot of of Walmart or something. I right? actually wish that just waivers were more common, like. And throwing knives at each other actually happens quite a lot in like juggling shows or various other performance. Non-professionals shouldn't <laughs> be allowed to throw knives at each other. <laughs> You're with, really qualifying uh, a lot of things. Uh, Do uh, they need a license to, to prove they're a professional knife thrower? As Jay said, they probably need a waiver. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I if, if if they fuck up and hit me, I can't sue them or the circus, right? Yeah. But uh, and I'm, I'm qualifying it as a joke. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those. Uh, anyway, the the idea of Let's keep our kids safe, partly because the news is making me think that every third kid is getting, you know, abducted and raped. And uh, I also just care about my kid. Right. Um, And there's also the the actual real factor of some kids are in danger. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a bit of an aside, but it was I was listening. I mentioned to Sam Harris's episode of Neil deGrasse Tyson. And Harris always tries to rope him into talking about culture war stuff. (laughs) And last time he was on, he kind of neatly sidestepped it. And this time he he. He did a nice pirouette around it. He didn't engage with it directly, but he gave some good insight. And he did talk about how when he was eight, his mom gave him the talk of like, when you get stopped by the police, do this. Because mm. she didn't want to come home and learn that her kids were dead. Mm. So like, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Neil deGrasse Tyson's black. So like that makes a that makes that talk from his mom have some serious fucking gravity. Mm. Uh, you know, when I got the, the talk of how to deal with police, there was never a threat of or they'll kill you. It was basically like, here's how you lower your your chances of getting a ticket mm-hmm. which is when they come to the car have the window down engine off have your license registration ready mm-hmm. like that that is how i handle every time i get pulled over and anyway like that but my my talk of how to deal with the police was never involved like or they might kill you that mm-hmm. wasn't even implied yeah. as far as i know uh, if, if it was implied they didn't imply it successfully um anyway so that this this level of kid protecting um extends especially to places where kids go like schools um zero tolerance policies became really popular no ifs ands or buts you fuck up you're out we're not dealing with it Mm -hmm. because if we have to have tolerance that means we have to have discretion which means we can be held liable right so i don't know if height makes that point but that's been my hobby horse for a long time whereas like you're expelled because you hit that kid it's like yeah i hit him because he kept hitting me and you notice i'm missing two teeth and it's like yeah well we don't we we don't have a we don't have a we have a zero tolerance policy for violence you engage in violence you're out um I think that that's mainly to protect the school from uh, anyone saying, well, look, you know, you made a bad judgment call. It's like, actually, we didn't make a judgment call. Right, right. Yeah. So you can't hold us accountable. Um, but so this, this ties into one thing that I've observed in real life with, I think, legal adults. Um, it's hard to say with online anonymity, but the idea of always having a responsible adult around. That wasn't a thing when I was a kid. And it makes I, I'm glad I get to say that because it makes me sound old, but I guess my pl- <laughs> my childhood was just 10 years behind some other parts of the, of the country because when i was a kid i left the house and my parents wouldn't know where i was for hours mm-hmm. i would say i'm gonna go i would literally you know we're gonna i'm gonna run around with this guy we're gonna go have fun yeah. and like all right well try- mean, they would kind of know you were with that guy you were in the neighborhood somewhere probably yeah. yeah i mean we could within 45 minutes jog to downtown fort collins we could be miles up that way i mean I, if i did fall and break my leg they would never find me you okay. know 
Um, I wasn't like at his house or at my house. We would be somewhere. And we found every little niche, every uh, gap between fences to jump and run across, every ditch, yeah. every um, uh, drainage pipe that you could crawl into and light fires. And oh, I was always um, scared to go in drainage pipes. <laughs> we we had one that we go into a lot and it got harder when we got taller. But so, I mean, that says something. The fact that we we're still growing when we we're going into this thing, right? There's we would go in like, there and start fires. It's and- on the side. There's a whole community of uh, people who do urban exploration and then one of them i forget if it's called draining hmm. but like like that's like a sub culture of the sort of urban exploration community where people share information about where cool pipes are hmm. i like that <laughs> how to get in like the, i don't know this just didn't even have a gate a on it, it etc there's probably a great on it now i should go look next time i'm in the area but well i always um, figured i mean i didn't go very far but once you go inside past a turn or two everything looks identical and Maybe you'll get stuck in there for days and starve to death because you can't find your way out again. Luckily, from the surface, it was from about here to like the visitor spots across the parking lot, and it had one turn, and there was no there was no branches. Oh, oh okay. so I could see from like above both parts of it. It was just big enough to go in and have fun. Cool. Um, but like the kind of childhood we had, we'd go in there with a can of Axe body spray and a lighter and shoot <laughs> spiders with it, so that we could we could we could clear the place out for us, right? I also and so, used to set perfume on fire with friends because some of the chemicals or maybe just like the fragrances or dyes in there will make it burn really cool colors. And it probably wasn't great to breathe in in retrospect. Yeah. But like, it's a very expensive flamethrower. Yeah. And not that effective, but it did get the spiders and I don't like spiders. So, Aww, um, I and, love the, spiders. And, and Axe was the continuous spray. Mm. And so you could get them nice with that. You could I probably mean, kill them without setting it on fire. With <laughs> spray. That stuff is noxious. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this actually, just this is a nice kind of flashback to the discussion we were just having with Charlie about like kids being traumatized and stuff is like, I think it does make sense to protect kids from things that are overtly likely to harm them in very serious ways. Mm -hmm. Like we were just lucky that none of these cans ever blew up on us without us meaning for it to like, it it is actually not uncommon when you turn, like you're, when you're doing, don't, don't do this at home. Don't do this period. But if you do, (laughs) which you shouldn't, you have the lighter a few inches ahead of the, the flame. And you want to you want to shoot the excuse me a few inches ahead of the the projectant the mm-hmm. spray and you want to you want to shoot the spray about an inch or two above the flame you don't want to shoot it at the flame lest it get on your thumb and oh. then the flame catch that right. and then when you're done you turn the lighter off and move the can away at the same time because like as as the as the flame goes out and it just the the and if you stop pressing the diffuser it doesn't it stops pushing out and it kind of comes back this way. If it goes to the can, it can explode and blow your fingers off. Okay. Um, so, like, it's things like that where I do think it makes sense to, like, try to protect kids because kids don't, like, well, I, I knew abstractly you, when you I was 13. teach your kids how to safely flamethrower spiders. Don't tell my mom, but my dad told me how to do it. I think Thank that there's you. lots and of dangerous things that I kids learned from do other kids. And have always done and, like most of the time they're fine or you get minor injuries. Sometimes it's sad kids do die, but like also I think you can't really prevent that as a parent by just, you, you can't predict everything that your kid might do. And sometimes they're just freak accidents, you know? Yeah. You could be walking in a forest path that you've been in all the time. And there's a bear one time. And that's why you, you always have one more kid than you actually want to have. So there's a, there's a backup. <laughs> yes. I, I, I was drawing a, a bad analogy to like saying where it kind of makes sense, maybe to protect 14 year olds from 35 year old people who want to fuck them because that seems like a circumstance where, yes, you could have a bad a bad outcome that merely results in having regrettable sex, but it is like possible that that kind of of trauma can hit a lot deeper than if you merely got slapped by a thirty five year old. Um, but the, the analogy here is like 
you know, while I was told, yes, you can blow your hand up if you do it wrong. Um, maybe my dad shouldn't have taught me how to do it in the first place. Cause I wouldn't have learned that all these cool things around the house are flammable. You would have found <laughs> out, but he, maybe he showed me a couple years too early. Okay. And maybe he didn't, maybe he did it at the right time. My memory's fuzzy. I just do distinctly remember him showing me it was with like brake fluid or something or brake parts cleaner. The kind of like a hose that shoots like 11 feet. Like it was, uh, like, <laughs> well, I mean, I learned from other kids in school how to make basically a, a kind of homemade napalm thing. Got Ga- uh, styrofoam and gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Super easy. And apparently I don't know where this came from, but also crush up one Advil or ibuprofen and put it in. That that was just a thing that was like an urban legend, magical ingredient in my area. I don't know where the hell that came from. Doesn't do anything, Ah. but it was a thing we all did because that that gave it the little extra spice. That's fun. Yeah, Yeah, a couple Halloweens in a row, we went around with like a two liter, and we had you know you you just spend the year collecting styrofoam, and then you you (laughs) shove it all into the the container full of gasoline. And then you go out on Halloween and draw a shape on a wall and set it on fire or draw a line across a, a, a back road and set it on fire. Yeah, I was pretty good on only doing it like on, on asphalt or other things that wouldn't catch fire. You put it on walls? Uh, brick. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We weren't totally dumb. All right, yeah. We, we were stupid, but not, not doesn't know what catches on fire stupid. Yeah. Um, I brought up the drainage tunnel thing, though, because there was one time, like my dad knew we'd fuck around in there. And it was like kind of on his drive. It's a common way to get to and from like Safeway and stuff. You could see one side of it. And uh, we had gone in there and I remember which kid it was through a bunch of like pine bramble onto our little fire. That son of a bitch. Well, as you apparently know, that that is very, very smoky. Yeah. And so we all vacated quickly at the other end because we couldn't breathe. And apparently <laughs> the fire department showed up and, oh. they, and they were at the other end of it. And they're, I'm assuming they're spraying water down or making sure there are no kids in there or something, something, some sort of big deal. Hmm. And my dad saw that, but then he came home, like after he finished driving past it, we were at my place and he was like, Oh, that was you guys, right? You guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're fine. And he's like, well, the fire department's there. Don't, you know, go around. I'm paraphrasing from bad memories, but that's basically what went down. And don't uh, go back to the scene of the crime for a while. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, but anyway, little mistakes, like I bring all this up. It's not, it's a digression, but it, it drives the point home that, you know, goofing around and being unmonitored as a kid. Um, gives you a lot of this this agency and responsibility that Inuyasha loves so much for for young adults. I'm teasing, um, but I, uh, but in a good way. I do way. like those yeah. things. Yeah, I, I, but the, the dismissive quote unquote it's stuff was teasing. What Charlie was saying earlier. I mean, like it applies to relationships, but also just things like screwing around with homemade napalm or whatever. You you do your dumb shit and then you learn from it. Uh, I learned, for example, that you should not use a car battery to try to make an electromagnet. Oh damn! What happened? Um. Or made it, it, it might have been a wave runner battery, which would have been slightly smaller, but uh, I was in my dad's workshop and I, I connected it for just a second until it like shorted out or just terrified me and I, I disconnected it, but everything metal jumped toward me a bit. <laughs> and I was in a like workshop full of like saws and hammers. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh shit. <laughs> That's amazing. That's cool. I'm I, glad I had made one with like a nine volt and then like, or not even a nine volt, one of the like, ones that's a big brick that you can kind of hold in your hand i forget what the kind of battery is called is it c or d yeah or c or d those big ones something like the the big and then cube. i was just like oh this you know what would be cool is if i used a bigger battery mm-hmm. like i wonder how much you know magnetism i could generate turns out a lot <laughs> but also you like knock everything out of all the cabinets and onto the floor i just see the walter white van going <laughs> <boom>. <laughs> to, to the wall i'm glad i'm glad you weren't hurt but wouldn't have been interesting for your you know the newspaper like you're just you're ripped apart by every sharp thing in the office and like like it's not even clear what really happened like it looks like a ghost just yeah. ripped you to pieces and everything and shattered the whole workshop 
Um, anyway, it's fun to humor about because nothing happens. So, uh, yeah, but those, those little experiences, they, and I, I said it as a joke, but I, I mean it very seriously. It gives you a sense of responsibility and accountability for your own stuff. And it, it's valuable. Mm. Um, anyway, th- there are great reasons to try and rein that in. And then it turns out it's not that hard to overcorrect. You know, like I came home once and I thought I'd cleaned up well enough, but I hadn't. And my mom was like, immediately, what happened to you? Like, Uh-oh. what happened? And I was like, uh, he I named the kid, threw a fireball at me. <laughs> and because we'd set a ball of newspaper on fire and threw it at me. And as I dodged, like the wind just blew it. And it just like basically gave me a haircut. Oh, neat. And I thought I'd kind of, I don't know, combed over enough. But no, it was obvious that like from across the room the second I came home. And so, you know, it. It's the kind of thing, if we'd been goofing around a little more differently that day and I was, you know, covered in some residual Axe body spray from one of our extermination missions or something, (laughs) he could have set me on fire, right? Mm -hmm. So I get where parents are coming from. And I think it's hard not to understand why they're, they have this protection. No one wants their kid to be burnt to a crisp because they're playing around with fire, right? So, but this gets stupid real fast, like when you pass a law and parents can get arrested. And again, I think you said that they're making this illegal, it's illegal to pass laws like this. I'm not sure what that means in the terms of legality legalities, but well, basically they're, they're making it so you can't pass laws such as your 10 year old is at the park down the street unattended and you're going to jail for child neglect. Specifically, I think the Texas law was uh, you can't call the cops on a kid being left in a park that, I mean, I guess they still could, but the cops aren't supposed to respond. And the parent that the person who tried to do that would be the one that gets in trouble. I wonder how young the kid's supposed to be. Because if I saw a baby in a park, I'd call the police. If it's just sitting there under a tree, clearly just... I don't know if I'd call Honestly, myself. yeah, I don't know. What, what would the police do? The police would do the same thing as you. Stand there until the parents showed up, right? Or at the very least, I, I guess, I, what am I going to take it home? Like, or just walk away from the park and leave it there while it's getting dark out? I feel like... Well, no. But yeah, yeah, so you, you would at some probably point, take I should be home. allowed to call the cops without getting in trouble. <laughs> put put something up on Facebook, you know, baby found, approximately yay weight, eye color. It's, it's at the park if anyone, if, if it belongs to anybody. Staple them to telephone poles, like, yeah. found baby. <laughs> yep. Yeah. A lot of that makes sense. No more digressions. We are going deep. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, sorry to fill us with the digressions. I brought up a lot of anecdotes from childhood and tried to coax some out of you guys because... Um, Height makes the case, and I think I agree with him, that having unstructured time as a child and specifically unsupervised time is very valuable for self-development, self-actualization, and accruing a sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I got hurt when I was off doing shit as a kid. Um, That's literally how you learn things. It's how you, you learn, learn not to touch the stove by poking the stove one point and being like, oh, fuck, that burned my finger. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I, I did that as a young scientist on my very first birthday. I touched the candle. Um, I'm told. I don't remember this, of course, but uh, in the pictures, there's there's a picture of me ETing the candle flame and then a picture of me crying. Um, and so uh, anyway, um, the idea of not never having like, so we were going to go with more examples. I mean, everyone's aware of them because height goes on about them at some length of, you know, oh, this college campus, um, this professor uh, in 2010 was caught reading Huck Finn, and now she's fired. Can I read um, one like please. paragraph that yeah, I thought yeah. was really funny? Some recent campus actions border on the surreal. In April at Brande University, the Asian American Student Association sought to raise awareness of microaggressions against Asians through an installment on the steps of the academic hall. The installation gave examples of microaggressions such as, aren't you supposed to be good at math? And I'm colorblind. I don't see race. 
but a backlash rose among other Asian American students who felt the display itself was a microaggression. The association removed the installation, and its president wrote an email to the entire student body apologizing to anyone who was triggered or hurt by the content of the microaggressions. And you know, I, I think was an actual quote. Triggered, it was triggered or hurt by the content of the microaggressions. <laughs> it's, it's, it was a good example because, like, it's it's obviously very well intentioned, and th- it, they did maybe. You know, they could have not picked on a particular race for it or something. If they'd picked on one of everybody except for white people, because well, we can't it was be microaggressed. The Asian American Association doing it. So wait, it they made weird. they made the thing, and then other yeah. Asian Americans at the school. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. Oh, I have a quick. Just as long as I'm, we're towing the line of annoying people with race talk and all this <laughs> stuff. Um, the guy who I can't remember his name because it's not that popular of a show called Kim's Convenience Store. The older brother. Oh, Charlie he, loves that show. She grew up in a very Asian community. Season whatever just came out five. Mm-hmm. I've been watching it. It's so far my least favorite. Okay, mainly because all of their problems are caused by them lying okay. or trying to cover something up and lying. That's and so then frustrating to watch and stacking yeah. lies on top of lies. And like it'd be great if like by five years in you guys have learned that like stop doing that and your lives get way easier. Okay, but it's that sort of manufactured um, uh, conflict, right? Right, right. But anyway, the, the older brother he's going to be. Um, He's, it, there's a trailer for it. He's going to be uh, not a, not an Avenger, but he's going to be a Marvel hero. Oh, cool! And apparently, like after they did, um, I think after they did Thor, maybe after they did Black Panther, maybe both times he tweeted at Marvel Studios because maybe he thought he was a big enough person to get a response from Marvel Studios. He's like, "Great, now you got a you got an African American hero. How about an Asian American one?" I feel like it's a weird way to ask, but <laughs> it got it got him the gig. And then people were like, "Finally, an Asian American uh, hero. He's Asian Canadian." That lying son of a bitch. I mean, Kim's convenience store takes place in Canada. He's Canadian. He lives there. Okay. Um, so, so he's not even representing the true Asian Americans. Yeah. And I, I, my, my only thing that I realized when I was thinking about this was like, I've never heard the term Asian Canadian before. Mm-hmm. And so like, I also wonder, do they, do they call black Canadians like African Canadian? I've never heard that either. You know, Canada is basically just America's hat. So they, <laughs> they can all count as Americans too. I mean, get some angry emails from Canadians. <laughs> I, I only bring that up because I I was or morbidly not. curious and I didn't know how to Google. Well, I guess I could just Google, Canadians but I don't are want to. Chill, right? Canadians are what? We're talking about stereotypes. Yeah, they're super nice. They won't get mad at us. There'll be some strongly apologetic and uh, uh, courteous emails from our Canadian <laughs> leader, listeners. Um, I'm sorry you got the wrong impression about Canadians. <laughs> But I remember seeing something years and years ago about African American actor British or African African American British actor Idris Elba <laughs> being considered for James Bond, and I'm like, hold up a minute, this doesn't scan. In Britain, um, they called them mixed race. Well, now I know. Yeah, yeah. but I, I That's just more I knew- accurate, honestly. Like, I actually sort of feel like when the, that we're trying to be all politically correct, be like Asian American or like African American. Like sometimes people are like multiple races. Well, and this is the thing and that you're I was- calling them the one that they look like the most, maybe. And that's usually yeah yeah i people I, do i know we we're gonna be done digressing but this actually does sort of relate so i can tie it back in but um anyway i knew that was that was couldn't have been the way that they actually called them in uh britain because they wouldn't say african-american british actor like that <laughs> that makes no sense anyway so um but this does tie in because uh well i gotta start from the, the childhood thing so um self-actualization through alone time and responsibility and now that we're all super old we remember having childhoods probably with many unsupervised hours um maybe per day maybe just in the summers but like being left alone a lot mm-hmm. um and maybe not maybe not all three of us but i spent a lot of my childhood outside because i didn't have uh, my parents didn't want to pay for the good cable uh, hmm. 
and I wasn't allowed to play video games until I forget if I was 14 or 16. But like, honestly, I think that I turned out better because of that. I liked being outside. In some ways. I, I, I was out doing stuff a lot. And I guess what I'm getting at is so I'm, I, I would be curious. Um, I I'm, was a low maintenance kid for my parents. I mainly liked to read. And then once computers oh, and video games became a thing, I did that a lot. I just, I, I went out sometimes and I was unsupervised during those times, but a lot of my time was spent doing things that would be considered very safe anyway, like sitting in my room and reading. How safe yeah. is reading though? What were you reading? Was it satanic? I mean, look at how I ended up. <laughs> <laughs> my, my parents made the wrong decision, trusting books I to be around me. how, just the, as long as we're digressing, uh, all of your stories are really dark, which is hilarious. Like if you if you meet Iriash, like he's just super like nice, happy, positive person, and then like it's like you just like channel it all out in your writing. <laughs> I remember like the first time you sent me the short story version of uh, what lies dreaming. Yeah, and I actually had to stop reading it. Like I think at the rape scene, or like shortly after, where I was just like, oh man, like I was actually kind of in a depressed period at that point. I was like shit i'm sorry did you no it was it was a great story actually i went back and like read it later when i was in a better headspace and loved it and recommended it to people but i was just like yeah i wrote this (laughs) 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 hidden depths all right totally i uh i'm trying to drive point my home my point quickly because we spent uh a good useful amount of time on other stuff but we're going on too long so the the unsupervised, or excuse me, the super supervised childhoods <laughs> of of today's twenty somethings um, led them always to have a responsible adult around. And like, it, let's not—I won't bog us down with examples, but all of us experience some form of bullying. All three of us, anyway. Many of our listeners. Most bullying can be handled yourself, and especially if you handle bullying yourself, you feel like a badass. If you have to, or at least you feel like you took, like you know, your your life into your own hands, or you, you took charge of your own life. You know, um, the you know. The broadening of what's encompassed under the umbrella term of bullying is is things like exclusion. Like, we're going to go play tag. You're not. That seems like different than this kid's hitting me. Now, bullying is still a problem if you're like afraid to go to school mm-hmm. or if you're, you know, um, stressed out about the idea of going to school. Then it's that's just a, problem. a really unpleasant environment all yeah. the time. Even though I like didn't let people bully me because I was a weird little ender child. Uh, mm-hmm. I still was stressed by the fact that people could try to bully me at any point, And I was kind of hyper aware of that. I was bullied like uh, consistently, but moderately, you know, like I never lost any teeth or broke any bones, but I was hit, you know, like, yeah. so, but it was, it was pervasive. So yeah. it would be, it would be kind of like what you'd call like a hostile work environment. Right. Um, although it's more hostile, you know, I can't, you can't even lightly beat up your coworkers, <laughs> but that was basically school for me. But um, there's less you can do about psychological bullying too. Like yeah. if you resort to violence, then you're the one that gets in trouble. Exactly. No, not always. Not not always like in my case I was always the shortest kid in class and I was like girl with blonde hair blue eyes and was known to be like a good student etc. Teachers didn't get to see the side of me that would just kick a kid in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but the kid had a fucking coming. Probably not actually. Oh, I, no. In retrospect, I, I way <laughs> overreacted. Like that's why I said Ender because like when I was a kid I felt like the stakes were way higher than they probably actually were. But if you are the shortest kid in class and it feels really threatening, yeah. especially because a lot of my experiences uh in recess for example was if i they would like say tell the teacher if someone's bullying you and i'd go tell a teacher like hey this kid keeps hitting me and they'd be like just ignore it (laughs) or just avoid them and i was like he's chasing me and hitting me Mm. like well just just you know i'm not gonna do anything about it figure it out (laughs) so it's like i'll figure it out 
I covered my I covered my arms in poison ivy because I used to be uh, immune to it, and then oh neat gave a kid, like I, I could have given a kid anaphylactic shock. I didn't fucking know. Fucking uh, serves them right. Or like if some kid you. was like starting to bully me and giving me mouth, I would just go right for the nuts. Like I said, mm. <laughs> to the point where like. Oh, God. I'm going too much on a digression. I just thought this was funny. A male teacher at one point pulled me aside and said, you should never kick boys in the nuts because you can make them infertile or something. And I was like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> if they're bullying me, that they're they're asking for it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No, you're good. Steven, uh, take, take control again. I think you were helping teach those young men the responsibility of their life, that there are, act- there are consequences, there are consequences. Yeah, to that their it, actions. That if you, if, you, if you antagonized a young Jace enough, then you might never get to have kids. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, lesson learned and your, your lineage has ended. Um, <laughs> I also it was probably a shitty lineage. That I was being psychologically bullied by a bunch of girls, and I convinced them that I was a witch. Neat. Nice. You, you got to sacrifice just one of them and the rest leave you alone. <laughs> no, um, actually, I, they just would talk and they seemed to think that like people couldn't overhear them. So I would just overhear them like saying shit. And then later I would be like, hey, I know what you said about me and repeat it back and be all creepy. And they were like, oh, <gasps> nice. Uh, I'll power through some of this. So like there was the um, so I brought up the, the, the coddling childhood because it, it carries on into adulthood. And so, you know, if you're if you're a kid and you can always go to a safe, a responsible adult for all of your problems, you never learn to handle anything yourself. And then you move on to what we colloquially consider adult life, like college, and you think things should be the same way. I should never be scared. I should never be stressed out. And you're at the same time told these things should scare and stress you out more than they probably do the normal, the, the healthy average person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's where... The, the untruth of what doesn't kill you makes you weaker comes in a lot. Like, essentially, the belief that people are fragile, like, so remarkably fragile that reading the wrong word in a book at college can send you into, like, a spiraling madness and depression. Or that and, kids just aren't, like, smart enough, or I don't know if smart's the right word, but, like, Huck Finn, for example, like, there was a historical context. Are we using the term kids to refer to? Oh, sorry. I mean, yeah, well, we I don't know. Like, terms. It, it is kind of. I think I was thinking of like elementary or maybe probably middle schools when people would, would have tended to read Huck Finn. The thing is, whatever. there is literally a common term called college kids, which, you know, I think is sort of telling on its own that we're calling people in their 20s the same word we use for children still. Because they basically are children. They, they're, they're dumb. <laughs> and especially because they're, they're inebriated all the time. But we don't have time to bog down on that. We'll call them college adults. Well, I mean, I think part of it is also that um, th- this is a problem with the, how the adults are treating them. Like the adults are the ones that are thinking, oh, my God, they're going to be so hurt and, and coddling them. Or we're going to get sued. Well, we're fine. I think look bad. the adults are coming around to that. You know, like if if this was six years ago in 2015, the adults were flabbergasted. They had no idea where this was coming from. But these were the first generation of kids raised with the uh, super careful upbringing and raised online to reinforce all these ideas of like, oh no, you're you're crazy safe fragile. Space. Yeah, safe spaces was a term that took off in 2015. Um, and again, like so much of this actually, like you keep saying, Stephen, it was well intentioned. I think that like safe spaces became. I think that started it with the feminist movement where it was women who had maybe been raped or been in abusive relationships wanted safe spaces. Oh, hold on a sec. We have some more listener feedback, and it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot, get out of here! <laughs> Happy dog. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think you're right. That safe space has started, and they, they just sort of make sense. And I don't want to get us too far. In fact, I want. I'll just mention that like it makes the the discussion of like who gets to use which bathroom not an insane one to have. 
um, or which changing room at the store or something, there is a not stupid way to have that conversation. Um, or I think like there's contexts where like if it is a group of um, what is it like women's studies, people that want a women only space to talk about like ways that they were abused or like if it is somebody who is scared of men because yeah, maybe like they did have like a stepdad raped them and then like a bunch of abusive experiences and they're just scared of men. Like it's kind of reasonable to maybe like give that fair set of safe space to talk about that. Yeah. But like, then I saw safe, like one of the actually like pushbacks I've seen on social media are people saying like, Hey, Tumblr is not your safe space. For example, the person complaining about, Oh, a minor might see the sexy like pinup of Connie from Steven universe. And it's like, well, actually you're supposed to, I forget if it's 16 or 18, but you're supposed to be 16 or 18. When you make a Tumblr account, you have to click a thing that says, I very, like, you know, I confirm that I am above 16 or 18 in order to make an account. So like kids shouldn't be on there. And I've seen other people saying, Hey, like Tumblr's not your safe space. And also control your content. If you want to, like if you're 14 and you've clicked, yes, I am 18 and you're on here, you have sort of decided for yourself. I am, I am going to possibly see some content that might disturb me. And then also maybe you can like, there's filters, there's, there's, you can filter out tags. You can, you know, decide which things you do and do not want to look at, not telling other people, Hey, you need to make this space safe for me or other potential minors. It's like, first of all, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, that- like if you don't like it, go somewhere else. <laughs> and that, that's why I'm not, in, that's why I don't follow any spider subreddits. Um, <laughs> so like, but the idea of, again, always being raised with a responsible adult in the room, somebody can go to and say, they made me feel unsafe. They had a spider picture on their phone that I saw when I was looking at their phone. Like, that, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anyone's gotten in trouble for that specific thing, but that's the I've kind of- I've seen that kind of thing too, where somebody's like, I'm really triggered by, I'm a vegan and I'm triggered by meat. And somebody's like posting pictures of like their Thanksgiving dinner or something. And they're like, take that down. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen a case like this, but I also don't follow this that closely because I don't do a lot of outrage stuff. But- you know, imagine a college campus where, sorry, if you eat meat, you have to eat it in your dorm rather than the cafeteria because it it's, it offends and scares the vegans and triggers them. <laughs> like that, that's not unreasonable jump from where things are in some places, right? But I, I think you can also politely ask for that without demanding it. I've seen examples on Facebook of I had a bunch of friends who were like in social justice stuff and. I've seen different like ways of people, for example, posting like, hey, uh, I get really upset by pictures of like animal death or, or animal abuse. So like if you're posting graphic things of animal abuse, like even if you're trying to raise money for something like I would really prefer if you hid those under a read more or put like, you know, a, a trigger warning. There are pictures of animal abuse in this scroll past if that's not your thing versus i've seen all caps screaming like you are a bad evil terrible person if you are doing this and i will unfriend you and you should also be arrested like (laughs) i mean i think part of it is just since this is a culture war a war over what the norms of society are supposed to be like one of our norms is that we don't walk around in a grocery store or whatever in sexy lingerie or other you know clothes that are meant to titillate our partners um not that there's necessarily anything wrong with those, but it's just like a norm that you're going to cover up a little more when you go to the store. And some people want to change the norms to be people are more covered up or less covered up. And this is one of those things where like some people want to change the norms that you can't eat meat in public. And 
like I don't know, there could be, you know, a norm if there's Indian, it, some, maybe there's a Hindu around. And so nobody should be able to eat beef in public because it would offend them. Or maybe there's a Muslim around. So nobody should be eating pork in public because that would offend them. And, and at some point it is just a war about the norms. Like, you know what? We want our norms to be that you can't eat any meat in public, or we want our norms to be that like, fuck your veganism or your religion. People are allowed to eat meat. This is, should be a normal thing. And at that point, I think it's just, it's just a fight over, over preferences, right? Like there is no objectively right or wrong in this case. Well, I mean, I think for me, if I had to, I don't, I couldn't say as objective, but I think the the best outcome would just be like, sorry, your offense doesn't get to control how other people behave. Right. But you know, so like if if you're offended by two people kissing, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be allowed to kiss in front of you or at our campus or whatever. So like, that's where this whole what if you're offended by two people like fingering each other in public i mean maybe they're so you're right that's a that's a good example because a lot of call they're they're, i'm not aware of any campus that you know wants their students to be fucking each other in public right so maybe within certain guidelines you know i don't (laughs) know that's why i went with fingering because it's less unhygienic but still (laughs) crosses norms but yeah i um as long as you wash your hands yeah i guess What's tough for me is if people fall back on like, no, this is offensive. Like this is the same kind of bullshit reasoning people have been using to oppress people forever. Mm-hmm. And so you can't elevate that to like, you know, 20 years ago, we were all around for the new atheist movement. And they were like, oh, that your talk of, you know, unreligion is, is offensive to me. The answer was like, so what? Mm-hmm. And that that was the fine comeback. Like you're offended. Okay. Well, sorry, but you don't, don't buy my book. Right. Um, this is for everybody else. Maybe part of it. Uh, it just has to do with whether or not you're forced to be there or not. Like I could see, uh, I don't think that has much to do with it. Like in Muslim countries, you can't put up pictures of Muhammad cause that's offensive. And, um, I think it's more than offensive. I'm talking about like sort of what my preferences would be if I were dictator of the world and the one that had to choose these things. Like oh, I, well, I would say that like, first I changed of a lot all, of things if I was dictator. I think it like is polite to do the thing of, Hey, uh, I want to raise awareness for like this animal abuse charity. Um, trigger warning: there are some disturbing pictures under the cut here, uh, and some like graphic descriptions of the kinds of abuse that we're trying to fight against. So, like, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And that's cool because it gives somebody the choice to see it or not. Um, but then there's, for example, like if you are in school, you are kind of like there's compulsory education, and there's also just like people want to be in their college class i guess like not being shown graphic like holocaust murders or something and i think they sort of have the right to maybe again like politely not like let's kick down the dean's door and you know put them up on a flagpole or something if you're taking a class (laughs) on world war ii history as long as the professor says we're about to see some graphic images i think that's just the way it should be like you can turn your eyes away if you need to yeah i remember uh in middle school there was like Yeah, that they were going to dissect frogs and worms and stuff at different points, but they gave other students the option to opt out. And I chose to opt out at the time because I did not want to dissect a frog. I probably would now, but at the time I was like, oh, the poor, you know, animal. I don't want to do that. And I I like that they gave it. It's like you could either participate in the dissection or you could like read the chapter about it and look at some of the pictures, which were drawings, and then like write an essay about it where you still sort of. Maybe you miss out on like the hands-on experience, but like it's still sort of, I guess it's the respect thing again, sort of give, giving people the right to control their own content. Yeah, I think, but th- that's the, 
that's where there's this like creeping um frailty among uh some young adults and not so young adults where you're in your 20s there's somebody on campus um reading a book with uh there was an example in um the the essay about somebody reading a book about this uh this march against the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s and there was a KKK rally on the cover of the book and this offended a student slash employee and I think that student got in trouble. I forget what the what the fallout was, but like that shouldn't be enough. Plus, the store the book wasn't even pro KKK. It was right, about right. an awesome yeah. anti KKK movement. But I mean, so this this kind of falls into. Um, I wanted to spend more time on each of the the three untruths, but I'll power Bef- through. Real- oh, sorry, go ahead. Before we jump to the next untruth, I kind of so there is a risk of you know when you find a new thing uh, that seems to explain a lot, suddenly everything in the world is explained by that new thing. So I might be doing that right here. Everything is a clue. (laughs) But I I think that um, it's entirely possible and even likely, in my opinion, that this is not something where people are actually hurt by it. This is more an effect of um, people are being treated like infants. Adult people are being treated like infants. They have been for a decade plus by this point. And this is one of the ways of fighting back and rebelling against that. This is one of the few ways they can exercise power and uh and strike back against the people who are basically their prisoners who are treating them like infants and i mean it was brought up in the in the book uh teen 2.0 that i read that joining a gang is actually a very adult activity uh we think of it as immature but you're basically joining a military structure you have uh duties that are required of you when you join you get benefits for it and if you try to leave this uh, organization without their blessing, there's major consequences. And like, this is the same sort of thing where people are trying to assert uh, their lives by saying, we can hurt you too. Like this, you've been treating us like children all this time, but we can do something to make your life uh, terrible. Stop, stop doing this. And who are they responding to? Like the Dean at Yale? Yeah. yeah, Any authority figure in their life, because that's, I mean, it's the authority figures that are, treating you like children like you don't have the same rights you don't have the same ability to be an adult human as anyone else and this is one of the things you do like he said the three things you can do to get adult rights immediately in in our world is to get pregnant get married or commit a serious enough crime and suddenly the system treats you like an adult uh in a lot of not what completely but in a lot more ways than they did before because like oh you just murdered someone at 16 you're going to adult court now it's unfortunate that people are pushed to the extreme too, because like joining a gang, you know, I don't encourage people to join gangs. I think that they're usually pretty bad. Oh, uh, yeah. But like, I could understand why someone would do it if that is the only way that they could have any feeling of control over their own life or uh, what is it, power, autonomy, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree it's because of the infantilization thing, but I think it's less that people are actually children and more like that they're trying to strike back. I think and assert their um, their power. Yeah, like I can also understand some of the. I don't agree with it, but I can understand where people are coming from with the extreme social justice stuff. For example, like there's the college I went to, uh, or it's university now, Richard Stockton University. Uh, Richard Stockton was one of the founding fathers, who's like less well known, but he kept slaves, and there was a, I think, bronze bust of him like displayed prominently that some coalition of students like demanded they take down. And I think they did because they're like, I'm offended by you glorifying the slaveholder. And it's like, 
there's an argument that like, okay, well, there's a historical, like he also did a bunch of good things and maybe we could have that nuanced view, but like from the perspective of black people who keep having to see slaveholders like glorified and talked about as though like these were, you know, these awesome superheroes of the past, that's a way that you can sort of fight back for like, no, actually I'm sick of having like this shit shoved in my face. I think those are some good steel man arguments. I don't know if they account for some of the behaviors, you know, like yelling at the Dean because you find Halloween costumes offensive. You know, you, 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 you go to Yale, Yale doesn't go to you, right? <laughs> like it. Yeah. I although it, like going to Yale is a way that you can get a job. I mean, like, I guess you it, could go to a, another university, but it's like considered one of the, it is one of the well, Ivy League schools, but like it's you know, prestigious and so forth and so on. Maybe I'm modeling college is wrong, but I kind of picture it like a curated online space where it's like, you know, if you come to a Discord or you're following a Tumblr or something, you don't get to tell them how to do stuff because you, now you're here. Well, don't right? get me wrong. I think it's egregious bullshit. I, it's just in expressing your power is not necessarily a good thing. There's a lot of blatant abuses of power that people, I mean, that's bullying, right? It's just using your power because you can, and it makes you feel good. I think this is the same thing. Yeah. Unfortunate result of radicalization. Like the reason you might join a gang because the system's broken. And so like, it's a reasonable or or, like, it's an understandable thing for someone to do. But young uh, adults weren't treated like children. This probably would happen less, I guess is my thesis (laughs) because everything goes back to that for me right now. Yeah. I, I mean, there could be a lot more distress tolerance actually taught in school too. Like I still am annoyed by how little like social skills and just mental health skills are not taught in school because people don't think that that's something you should learn in school. You should learn it, I guess, through osmosis or something. I think the only thing you should learn in school is like very basic skills like reading and arithmetic. And like, like if this was taught in school, it would be probably taught as badly as most things in school are taught. And it just spend less mm, time in school and let maybe. people yeah you know, pick up the resilience I outside guess. of that there there's really useful things to like learn though you know the example of cbt is actually like that i think that's a skill that would benefit everybody to learn because yeah but if you force them to learn it they're going to learn it shittily yeah. if people want to go and learn it then they actually pick it up i think a case could be made that like I don't know. There, there's things I am glad to have learned in school. For example, I'm glad that my school was one of the few that still had a semi-functional um, home ec class where they had already gotten rid of a lot of those because it's like the whole, oh, well, school should be, you know, for training people to work in basically like an office job. Uh, so they were getting rid of a bunch of, you know, things that were like, oh, life skills that like maybe that you should be learning these from your parents or something. But a lot of kids' parents don't teach them how to cut a check cook food, repair clothing. Uh, I don't know. Home ec was such a waste of time for me. <laughs> it, it, was, it was another recess. Like, oh, you teach me how to follow the instructions on a box to bake a cake. I already but knew how to do that because I, I can read. So many of my adult friends didn't know how to microwave a bag of popcorn without burning it or, or fry an egg. They'd probably learn after two or three attempts of trying to microwave a bag of popcorn. I I have uh, friends and like past romantic partners who never learned it because they felt so embarrassed about being bad at it. I guess that's like sort of another topic where maybe you ingrain the skill in people on how to read instructions and how to go. No, I mean not yeah. not rudely, but also how to Google things that you don't know about. Like I. Oh, I didn't Google it. I watched inductive a, reasoning type classes would be pretty sweet. Yeah. Like I watched a great, there's a great YouTube series. Uh, Nat's what I reckon as in short for Nathaniel. 
Um, he's an Australian guy. He swears a lot and he teaches you how to cook. And Sounds it's all cool. it's all like uh, apocalypse based because we're all at home. So you know, <laughs> welcome back to your own fucking kitchen, champions. Uh, we're gonna make um, you know chicken um, parmageddon. And, you know, so anyway. uh, <laughs> he's Australian, so I assume he drops the c word a lot. Oh yes. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, this isn't the three hour podcast. This is the two and a half hour podcast, and we're yes. we're past our three hours. So. I tell you what, I'll wrap up with a couple of sentences. If anyone thought this was interesting, wants us to do more on this, let us know. Yeah, or if you want us to go back to doing like interesting stuff and talking about like cool science shit or something. Um, I do think this is interesting and relevant. I'm sorry and we I guess got it's our so podcast. off track by everything. Yeah, I had a good time. Like I think maybe we could come back next week or something. Because we only touched on one of your three things, right? One of one of Height's three things. I didn't make oh, that right, shit up, right. but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll... we'll, we'll Maybe come back to this in a couple weeks, maybe not. But I do want to just emphasize, because I, I want to rail on this a lot harder than I got a chance to, but there are a couple of good virtues coming out of this. You know, the, the, the um, a, a lot of like the, the terrible toxic shit that everyone hates, you know, call out, cancel culture, all that stuff. There, there are, there are virtuous mindsets from which that, from which that behavior can arise and good outcomes, you know, like, even though it is a weapon that is wielded incorrectly and um, like over broadly, I think way too often. I think the goal is like accountability for being shit. You know, if if you're out there harassing people and you're actually doing that, you should someone should know and you should get you should get uh your your some turbulence going on until that stops, right? Yeah. Um you know, like I think the Me Too movement was it was a kind of fallout of this sort of mentality, and that shit's awesome. You know, to the extent that people weren't insane about it and saying like Terry Crews wasn't allowed to participate. Um, the initial Me Too movement was really good. Yeah. Like, I just had Harvey Weinstein out of there. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, and so like the, there was pervasive, horrible shit going on. I don't know if anyone else loves Kesha as much as I do, but her, oh man, Kesha's great. Mm. was it her recent, most recent or second most recent rainbow? I think it was basically all about um, her, her manager was one of these Weinstein characters and uh it was about overcoming all that stuff it's great and she's one of the few artists i can understand when she sings um <laughs> so uh like and, then, and don't get me wrong i i, I me too was great the, my, the one gripe i had with it was a thing i read about people saying you know it was specifically terry cruz it was called because well, he, he was like oh yeah me too and they're like no fuck you sit down because yeah. you're a guy and it, I, it went, I didn't i didn't it went like off that. the rails yeah it, it started out great but like almost everything else in the culture war it went badly eventually but that said it was it was it was one of the positive a- aspects to come out of this kind of mentality. So um. I am actually glad about a lot of the raised awareness of things too. Um, I think that like attacking the Dean for Halloween costumes or something is like taking things way too far. But I also do remember being a kid and being in a Halloween store and like every other costume was some like racist stereotype. Like that would be like geisha girl. And it was like, first of all, I'm like, that's a chunk. So I'm not a kimono. And like, Okay, I was a little nerd kid, but like, you know, you'd see like a like a a, a thug costume where it's like blackface and like oh, yeah, that, like there, there's some like pretty offensive Halloween costumes that used to and still exist. There's also the thing of the like sexy female version of everything. I love the sexy banana. I I, I like the way that people just started subverting it. Like uh, I, I never actually did this, but I thought it was funny. I really wanted to be sexy Emperor Palpatine. Nice. <laughs> And sexy just do, like the, the like yeah. emaciated scary face thing but then maybe just have like the robe be like a, a mini skirt and have like high heels and like yeah. fucking fishnets or something i don't know see i think that's the appropriate way to respond to a bad costume is to you know yeah, not, challenge it and make it your own not attack the uh, dean about it <laughs> well and you know it that was that was a weird case and one that i don't want to like make the whole 
platform of my my gripe with this stuff but it's like uh just there there's there's a way to handle disagreements and conflicts and and life stresses that doesn't involve running to your parents or running to the you know the the st- the staff at wherever you work or running to twitter to get a professor you don't like fired or something like you can you can resolve a problem yourself like there was this uh quick example of somebody works an office job and this all sounds made up because i have none of the details um handy because i don't write any of this down for this episode but um anyone who's worn a tucked in shirt before knows that when you sit down it becomes untucked when you stand up mm-hmm. so unless he, you do the military's tuck this guy apparently wasn't um or he didn't have that cool thing where it's like a garter around your leg that you strap to your shirt um <laughs> i had that for my wedding so i could do all the dancing and stuff my shirt didn't my untuckitude levels were perfect nice. but uh stand up at his desk, tuck his shirt in, go off, go to the Xerox, go to the bathroom, whatever. Well, rather than his, I mean, so first off, you might reasonably suggest that his female coworker who reported him to HR might've been a little oversensitive, um, it, it, but maybe there's some good reason for it, et cetera. But rather than say, hey man, you're making me uncomfortable. Again, whether the uncomfortable, the reasonableness of the uncomfortable aside, or the, the yeah. Um, they go to HR and say, this guy's sexually harassing us. Hmm. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? Well, you're reaching into your pants every time you get up. It's like, I'm tucking my shirt in. I'm not, I'm not yeah. fondling my dick. Like this is, this is a behavior that I need to do to comply with the dress code for the place. I've got tucked in shirt, you know? So like, I guess what I'm getting at is there are ways to like resolve. So like, again, owning the Palpatine, the sexy, everything costume, there are ways to resolve these things that don't involve running to the authorities or, or, or censorship. It, That's like one of the things that I wanted which to is another authority. and the, or before we move on, uh, actually two things. Uh, I think that the a really bad outcome is that, like, for example, like banning Huck Finn or whatever, uh, you can, as like a learning institution, I don't know, for example, the, the, the what is his name? Uh, Richard Stockton bust, instead of just taking it down, maybe they could have negotiated something where there's a plaque that they, they, they could change the wording of the plaque to be like, hey, Richard Stockton was a complicated historical figure who did a lot of good things but he was also a slave owner and we're putting this bust here because he was the founder of this school but like if you want to learn more here's a website that you yeah that seems really weaselly to me i like the, uh, the idea so. of not venerating the guy like he was perfect by just if you just have a, a statue with the guy's name and age or, or date or something on it right if you do say hey this was a complicated figure but we found that his contributions to the founding of the country that you're living in and attending school in was valuable um you know, check out uh, the our web. You know, Yale dot com or whatever Stockton yeah. edu slash statue for some details on um, our complicated thoughts on the matter. I think that's not a that bad middle of the road option. I, I think if you got a bust of someone up, you're venerating them. And I mean, I there can be an argument made that uh, that along the lines of you know what he deserves to be venerated for the good things he did, and in his time, this slavery thing was whatever i don't know whatever kind of argument you would want to make but like if you have a bust up of stalin or dick cheney or something and being like (laughs) you know this was a complicated guy with a lot of good and bad things in his past go to this website link to check out the controversy like you still got a bust up of those people sure but But i don't know hiding the fact that they existed or or just saying that they only did good things yeah and i i do think that you're right having a statue up venerates a person but like especially to example there there's something to be said about like old art you know i'm not a very art minded person but if something is 200 years old and you're like yeah sure the 
Liberty Bell in Philadelphia is problematic for reasons X, Y, and Z, but it's, is it? it's I, I someone could I'm just making this oh, up. Okay, okay. But like some 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 artifact like that, you know, it's like yeah, but we're not gonna we're not gonna throw it in the incinerator because it's 300 years old and we like it, right? Um, the, I the thing I would worry about is that like extreme censorship of like let's just get rid of books that offend people let's not teach classes that might hurt people's feelings actually has the opposite of the intended effect where you're just not teaching people about the like yeah, complexity of historical events and that like you're, you're actually sort of covering up bad things that happened that's different from having a statue of someone up though that's why i was saying maybe that wasn't the best example i was just trying to think of oh, okay. something to use as like a concrete example um i mean pick somebody awesome that you know again all the founding the found all, all of the founders had slaves mm-hmm. right so like i think so it's i mean based if, if not all of them the super majority of them yeah but i mean like, like it, it was pre- very common for uh white men of the upper class at the time to have slaves and they were all white men so like you know they're they're the 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 problematic history of the united states by today's standards it's good that we don't operate that way anymore like that's valuable but you can't say they were shit people because they lived 250 years ago when everybody was shit people like you know i i don't know if this is true but hypothetically it could be true let's say gandhi hated black people like Gandhi had problematic views about the Holocaust. Sure. So, you know, whatever whatever legit issue there is with Gandhi, you can take the good, acknowledge the bad, but not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Mm -hmm. Like, to to throw out Gandhi and all the good he did, throw out Martin Luther King Jr. and all the good he did, like, if you you are holding everybody to the perfection standards of 2021, you're not going to find anybody from history that is perfect, right? Also, like, what things are we going to be doing and saying that like people 50 years from now are going to think we're apart hopefully some stuff right i want i want the size oh no i'm serious i want society to keep moving forward oh okay. I, I think that there, there there will be things that i hope that they they are more wise in how they judge their descendants or their 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 ancestors than we are um but anyway we are wrapping up uh just because i think we're over time but we're never out of time to thank this week's patron <laughs> and this week's patron is alex wyke who is a total badass for helping support the show so thank you alex we couldn't do this without you and uh and i the, hope you enjoyed today's episode and alex if you have a comment about whether we should uh, talk about this some more or move on to a different topic we will triple um the weight of your per- per- opinion on this one that's right yeah ping us on discord or write us at Bayesian conspiracy podcast at gmail.com or maybe submit a audio clip if you want us to air that yeah or even call in somehow i all of those are great options cool so thanks again to alex and everybody for hanging out and listening and we'll see you back here same rap place same rat <laughs> channel in two weeks bye bye everybody <laughs>